The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Top 10 lists are the worst. So, I want to, before we get started with this, I want to flash us back in time. It's February 10th, it's year 2000. A, I believe, four-year-old Rachel Dory? Five, four, yep, five. Four-year-old Rachel Dory. She checks, uh, you know, TSN. I don't even think Sportsnet was a thing at that point, but she checks the, the, lo- the, the sports section of your local paper, and she sees that her favorite player, Toronto Maple Leafs Mike Johnson, has been traded. And her reaction was extremely rational. It was completely, you know... Level-headed. Level-headed. And now we flash, you know, 20 years into the future. We're in, a, we're in a pandemic. Things are going great. But we have that said player on the podcast today. We have Mike Johnson. Mike, how you doing? I am well. I feel incredibly old that I'm talking to Rachel now, and you were four when I was traded uh, away from the Leafs. But just imagine how I felt. Like, you're upset that I got traded. Just imagine how I felt when I was traded away from my hometown and and uh, had to go to Tampa of all places. And Tampa back then was not Tampa that it is now. We used to joke, we used to call it the frightening because every day it's a new day of the frightening because you never know what you're going to get. And so, yeah, I, uh, I echoed your sentiments. I was not very happy about it either. Did you cry too? Or was, it, was that just a Rachel thing? No, you know what though? It's, so no, I did not cry. But like, okay. you, when I see guys cry about getting traded, Part of me is like, like Ryan Smith, the famous one, when he was mm-hmm. traded from Edmonton to the Islanders, like he was at the airport and he was having a full, full meltdown cry, which is okay. But like the backdrafts and stuff, like it's just, just coming a part of the scene, which is okay. But like, part of me is like, even though it might feel that way, I don't want to give the team that just traded me the satisfaction of like there. I'm so upset that I'm crying about it. Forget that. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to go strong. But no, it was, it was legitimately upsetting like it was not it wasn't like oh yeah i'm a pro that's what happens there you go it, it was it was life altering and upsetting so yeah it was uh, i did not cry but i i probably felt like it well okay. we're kicking off the pod on a positive note it's uh, <laughs> we're gonna get into this hang on we're gonna get into this later but i did not find out via sportsnet there is actually a home video of me having what my father calls the biggest temper tantrum of my life when he told me about this so we're going to get into this. Instead of me ranting today and yelling about ridiculous driving in this goddamn city, we're going to tell Mike the story of how, what my reaction was when he got traded. Well, wh- take it away then. All right, we'll kick it off. Let's with hear the it. Then. it was a great shot. We're, we're switching things up. They, it's a special circumstance. Yeah. We have your fir- our first guest on our new 2.0. So, Rachel, because this is – she's the president of the Mike Johnson fan club. Look, we're not, we're not, a, we're not a, like a, a hardcore media podcast here. We, we're allowed to be fans of certain things. We're allowed to, to do we that. Swear. Rachel, we swear. F- 
fuck, for example. So, <laughs> so Rachel, why don't you take it away? Why don't you give your Kovalev shift, tell us all about how much of a fan you are of this guest while he sits awkwardly and listens to it. Yeah, really. He's 100% logs off this podcast after. He's like, I'm never speaking to her again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I guess, like, I was born the day the Sens and Leafs opened the Corral Center. And, like, I guess you signed, what, in 97? Uh, yeah, the Mar- March of 97, yeah. Okay, so I would have been, like, 15 months old, so a little young. But then my dad said, like, basically once I was, like, 18 months and, like, walking around, kicking a soccer ball, like, wheeling a hockey stick, I guess, like, that season started. It would have been ni- the 97-98 season. And for whatever reason, when they did, like, the home, like, the intros, I guess where they, like, bring everyone out on the ice, like, Andy Frost, like, says your name or whatever. Um mm-hmm. They said your name and like my dad just said, I looked up at the screen and just mesmerized. And ever since then, like basically until you got traded, whenever you played, that was the only thing that mattered. (laughs) And it was intently ridiculous. And apparently I didn't like eating fruit and vegetables as a child. And my dad told me that the way they got me to eat them, but by telling me that you ate them, which I would assume is true. Can you confirm? Do you eat fruits and vegetables? Uh, I mean, yeah, probably not as many as I should, but uh, on occasion I have them. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But anything I can do to help the nutrition of a young kid. Yeah, exactly. That you're under two do you, years do old. You understand yes. the, do you understand the responsibility on your shoulders right now? Uh, who knew? That you, who, you are responsible yeah. for her nutrition? Well, well, I'm you up to being like a, a healthy athlete. I take full credit for that. Basically. So then I guess they <laughs> traded you like during the day to Tampa. And at that yes. point, like, I didn't know anyone could be traded. Like, I didn't realize that was a thing. I was like, oh, look, like, my favorite hockey player is going to be on my favorite team forever and ever. Amen. This is great. And uh, that decidedly did not happen. So my dad, I came home from school. He, like, picked me up. I was eating, like, M&Ms. Um, and my dad pulls out the video camera. And I'm like, oh, sick. We're going to play hockey. Like, whatever, right? And uh, he goes, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay. I'm, like, four years old at this point. He's like, um, Mike Johnson doesn't play for the Leafs anymore. And I guess for like whatever reason, I thought you got like gravely injured. And so I thought <laughs> I, I was never going to be able yeah. to see you play hockey again. And I was like, oh my God, what happened? I'm already welling up with tears. And he's like, they, he plays for a different hockey team now. So he had to explain like what a trade was with like chess pieces. Um, and then he said, oh, like we got this new player he's really good but mike plays for a different team so you're not allowed to cheer for him anymore and the meltdown that ensued was like a good 35 minutes and it basically ended with me being like i'm a sleeping in my mike johnson jersey and b i'm never watching the toronto maple leafs again (laughs) and you've kept that promise to this day so pretty much the same reaction like my mom had like that's it i'm dead the leafs are dead to me i'll never watch them again that Pat yes. Quinn, I hate that guy. Yeah. Um, you know, R- Rachel, the funny thing is, like, I remember, whatever, that was my third or fourth year in Toronto, whatever it happened to be. But I remember my first trade deadline of my rookie year. You got a flashback, like, 25 years ago. Like, there, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't, you know, social media. You know, trade deadline didn't exist as a show or as a thing. I guess it existed in the league, but nobody followed what was happening. And I remember going through that day completely oblivious like i also thought you couldn't get traded <laughs> like, it's, it's, these things don't happen Welcome and to the three o'clock, yeah exactly and then i remember it was felix potvin and jason smith were like yeah we fooled them again they got past the deadline i'm like 
I had no idea, completely oblivious. So uh, yeah, live and learn. But uh, as a, and my entire thing now is whenever I'm around Toronto, as you know, I live here. Um, people are like I don't remember people of your guys' age. Like I don't remember you playing for Leafs at all. I'm like fair enough. I'm like, but you remember Darcy Tucker? Everyone's like, yes, love Darcy Tucker. He's the best. He's the best. I'm like, nope. That's who I got traded for. So that's like my tie to the Leafs now is that yes, the reason you guys love Darcy Tucker is because. I was traded for him. I decidedly did not like Darcy Tucker because you got traded for him. But then we flash forward 20 years. I um, leave New Jersey and I go, I basically come home at Christmas. I'm like, mom, I hate hockey. I'm not working in this sport ever again. I thought you had a great time in New Jersey. Everything went perfectly swimmingly and they treated you great. And it was just a (laughs) a terrific time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was decidedly excellent and nothing happened. Why would you have that, that mindset when okay. you came back? So then I come back, I go to Germany. My parents send me there. They're like, you need to leave. Like, you need to go get away, mm-hmm. whatever. I come back. It's like the first week of March. And I basically said to my mom, I'm going back to school. I'm probably going to go to law school. Like, I don't want to work in hockey anymore. Like, I hate this sport, whatever. Two days later, I open my phone. Notification, notification. Nothing's followed you the shriek my mom thought i was dying i was so excited i was like never mind i love hockey again (laughs) it was ridiculous so the that was one of two things that happened within like 48 hours and i was like okay i'm back and now i'm doing a podcast with mike no no offense mike but i don't think i've loved any player that much to have them rekindle my entire <laughs> level of hockey. I have either. <laughs> I am the president of the fan club, okay? Exactly. Yeah. Um, how many members in this fan club right now? You and my me, you and my immediate family, and that is it. Okay, well, I'll take it. Yeah. I still get to be the yeah. president, though. You're still the president. No, no, no seamless transition of power here. You, you're clinging on to it. Uh, we got a great show, obviously. It's going to be great. We, you know, we, we kind of flipped up the script there by doing the Kovalev shift first, but now we have our famous segment it's plot points what's going up what's going down in 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 hockey and i think we'd start out with something because mike you got a great setup behind you right now the listeners can't hear it but you know the interior design it's immaculate you have a guitar Mm -hmm. i'm I'm hoping you're gonna you know play wonderwall or something for us it's gonna be great um (laughs) but what so we what we do is is if you if you don't know we we go through maybe three or four things what's trending up trending down the world of hockey and i would say first off what's trending down is any semblance of color in Connor McDavid's new house. <laughs> it is completely yeah. monochrome. I thought that those were black and white images until they went to his closet and I saw he had like a red sweater in there. I mean, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Like as an adult who has, you know, mm-hmm. the ability and the means to decorate your own living space, uh, just sum this all up. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, to each their own. So, I mean, whatever his taste is uh, or his designer's taste, then then he can do whatever he wants. Um, now, if, I think it's reported that his girlfriend was the helped design the house or is an interior designer. So, I mean, I guess that's a cool collaborative project so long as they both enjoy it and, and are living there for forever and ever. And uh, and I hope that they do. But it's it's, I don't, I think it's one of those ones where like, it's obviously very nice. It's, 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 it's super fancy, but I just wonder like how that will age. Like in, like, it feels like they'll have to redo that again in um, five to seven years and kind of a complete revamp. But um, maybe that's the thing. I don't know. I should ask you, you guys are the same age. What do you think of it? It's, is it, is that, is that what the cool kids are doing nowadays? The kind of, 
you know, minimalist, black and white kind of colds, whatever. I mean, maybe that's the thing. Maybe I don't um, know. I feel like they're going to have to redecorate in five to seven years because he's not going to be in Edmonton anymore. Would be my... Well, thank you for Wait referring to us as cool kids, first of all. I appreciate that. Mike Johnson thinks I'm cool. My yeah. day is made. I use that term very liberally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now my day is wrecked. <laughs> um, what I, what I want to know is what the H stands for, because it's on his basketball It's Hermes. Board. What is that? Hermes, is it isn't it? Dog? Like, what? No, Hermes is like a brand. designer, like, watch brand. Oh, I'm too and poor And now to they get make, that. like, betting and whatever other nonsense. I don't keep up. It's way too expensive. If you ever look at players, Mikey, look at uh, the belts they wear. A lot of them wear Hermes belts. Interesting. So you see, like, the there we go. See, belts. he's up with the fashion. So even I, 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 even I saw the bets, but I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, whatever. Now, if your name was, like, Hugo, I'm like, oh, that's even better. But, um, what? yeah, but I, I figured that's what it was as well. But it was – I will say this, though. And, and this is, and I don't, I know I would never have done this because I would be, especially Connor McDavid, especially today. Like I wouldn't want to invite people into my house like that. Like, I wouldn't want people to know what my house is like. Clearly everyone in Edmonton, wherever he lives, knows by the size of that house. Like there's Connor's house. I'm sure everyone knows where it is. Hopefully he has a big fence and a big circular driveway that no one can get through. But like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want people having a discussion about my bedspread, my bathroom setup, what I have hanging in my closet, my Drake basketball court, any of those things, which are all fine. The fact that he opened them up and maybe it's to help out um, the interior design business, perhaps I I'm not exactly sure, but I wouldn't want, cause I, where I grew up in, where I live, even where I lived in Toronto, there were some real sketchy people on that street. Um, so people like yourself, Mikey, that I wouldn't <laughs> want hanging around the front of my house as it came out that Mike and I lived in the same street when I was playing, not for the Leafs, but when I was playing in the NHL. Yeah. I also was in that general vicinity, which is quite funny. Yeah. I, well, I, thank you for not inviting me in when, you, when your house was like that. I appreciate it. Um, yes, yes. You would not get invited. Exactly. But I always think about, like, I can't imagine what Connor McDavid's life is like in that regard. Like, he's Connor McDavid. It's Edmonton. He must have you know, a never ending line of people, adults and kids that want to probably knock on his door. I, even when I lived where we lived to, on that street and I was playing in Tampa or Arizona, I guess, um, you know, it, I guess word kind of circulated that I was a hockey player who played there. And I would like, people would knock on my door sporadically with jerseys and sticks. And I'm like, I resp I like that you're, you know, I appreciate that you're, you're a fan of hockey, but like, I don't want you coming in my house. Yeah, but that's you know so and that that was maybe the most surprising part of McDavid was that he opened up his house brand new for the world to check out and offer their opinions on. Would that not? Because I, like I just moved into like to my my first I guess like big boy condo and it's mm -hmm. obviously not like that. It's a studio. It's tiny, but it's you know like it, it it has the ability to get interior design, and I'm trying to add some color to it because if it's like gray outside then mm -hmm. it, it, it's all gray inside because it's all white walls with him. And I'm assuming the weather isn't great in Edmonton all the time. It's not, you know, no one goes summering in Edmonton. I can't imagine what it must be like on a gloomy day to walk around that house. You must feel morose. Um, I guess. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of natural, whatever light can come through. I don't, I mean, I hear you, but maybe he likes that. Maybe he likes just a simple palette and something and, tells me, you know, 
It's Rihanna. his girlfriend saying, I have to live here while you travel and play hockey. So I'm decorating the house. That's a really good point. Well, listen, if they cohabitate, then it's as, you know, it's as much her space as it is his. And, and she is entitled to, to make it however she, she wants it as well. But um, I'm just surprised that anyone of that, like, have anyone seen the inside of Sid's house? I mean... I've seen the inside of his gym. Um, I didn't know Sid was engaged until Malkin spilled the beans. Right. And, and again, you know, Sid's older, right? So he didn't, he's not quite as in touch with the social media as maybe Connor and his guy. Right? Right. So that 10 years does matter a lot. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's, uh, but I love it. Like, even like, I want to look at, I say, I see it on Twitter. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to see what this house looks like, you know, cause everyone would be curious cause it's because it's Connor McDavid. Um, so I guess he'll have, to deal with everyone offering up their thoughts like we are on his, his new interior design. How often are you like, you know, as being a former NHL player and you know, one of, of Connor McDavid's stature as well, how would you like, how, how often were you at home? Like how, how much is he actually going to be living in that house during a regular season? And let's say that this is a regular season, not, you know, whatever the yeah. COVID season is going to be. Well, he would probably go there only because I kind of know because his, he walks into one of my daughters works at a marina up in Muskoka and he walks in there for his coffees in the morning. So I know that he lives in Muskoka or is in Muskoka for a good portion of the summer. So he probably goes to Edmonton and say camp starts like September 15th. He probably gets there close to September 1st, almost like after Labor Day, maybe. Um, and then, you know, you're probably there for the month of September, pretty much full time for camp. And then October through March, those six months, you are probably in your own house, in your own bed. Everything's got tough travel, 17 days a month, maybe just over half. That's more than um, I expected. Yeah. yeah, that's that's high. Well, I mean, if you think about if you think about half your games are at home anyways, right? So a, a minimum half your time's there because half the games are there. Plus, you know, you have more off days you'd spend at home than on the road. So it's probably slightly over 50% of the time at home. And then if they don't make the playoffs, which they don't, he's going home. April, no, he's going to this year in the All-Canadian Division. We'll get into it. But then he goes home, whatever, April 1st or April 15th or goes to the World Championships or goes on vacation and probably doesn't go back again until September. So he's there likely for a, maybe a third of the year. Nice. I'd love to years. spend $10 million on a house that I live in for 100 days a year. <laughs> it's not even a full but, season salary. But... If you have, if you, he makes a lot of money and an important part of, of, of being as good as he is, is probably being comfortable, right? So if that involves a $1 million house or a $10 million house, like clearly he can afford it. And if that makes him more comfortable, makes his domestic situation more pleasant, happier, he's got a gym in there, he's got a basketball court, whatever it is, like smoke him if you got him, like spend it because it's, it's important that you get yourself in a good frame of mind, not like living in a little studio that's all white walls with backlit bright windows behind you. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess our next plot point here, it's play, it's trending up players going to Europe because the CHL is essentially screwed up. Um, Rachel, you, you brought this point up. What's going on? You explain what's going on in the CHL because this seems everything's just messed up with, with COVID. What's going on? Yeah. So essentially it's a mess. Um, yeah. The OHL is um, playing, not playing. It seems like a flip-flop. But essentially what's happening is a bunch of the draft prospects are going to Europe. So there's some playing in Germany. There's some playing in Switzerland, Sweden. I think there's one in Finland too. Um, But, Mike, you played in Germany. So you're Mm – obviously they're a little bit younger. They're like 17. 
Um, mm-hmm. But what's it like kind of having to go unexpectedly because you had the lockout, right? So unexpectedly having to like pack up all your shit and move to, I guess, just like a different country, whether it be like Sweden or outside of Canada, like Germany, like what's it like in terms of what you can expect in terms of culture and playing and how things are different as a player? Faryastads. Yeah, Faryastads. We, we had a stacked team though. Oh our yeah? Our team was amazing. Yeah, we had, before I get into what life's like, our team at Faryastad, I went in the 04 lockout, you're right, mm-hmm. Rach, and, and it was like the last day I could go there. And our, our imports that I replaced, the first guy who had been there was Marion Gavrik. Then he left to go back to play in Dukla Trenchin or whatever. He's from Slovakia. Then Mike Comrie showed up. He played for a couple months. He went back to California. Then I showed up to, to play at the end. But we had Marty Gerber and Nett, former Ducks, former, former Ottawa, former <laughs> Leafs. Played for the Leafs. We had Sheldon, Sheldon Sure and Zdeno Chara on the defense as our imports. The hardest um, cumulative of, slap shot in the league. Oh, forget about it. Just bail on that all day Did long. Did you ever There's take no one? Thing the screen you when took they a shoot. clapper. You take a I, clapper from I, either I, of those? Uh, yeah. Well, I played with Shelly in Montreal as well several years later. And like, yeah. What was it like you get to take a slap shot from Sheldon Surrey? It's terrifying. It's awful. And the worst part about Shelly is that like, <laughs> it's it's bad any to get hit by anyone who shoots it hard. Shea Weber or Z or whoever. Um, but Shelly would shoot high. Like he didn't care. Like those other guys, like I kind of respect that it's coming so hard. I'm going to put it near your knees. But Shelly's like, man, I'm not worried about it. I'm going bar down. And he would buzz the tower all like practice games. Like Shelly, where's practice? Like you don't have to go like right under the bar. He's like, get out of the way then. I'm like, I'm going to get out of the way. Because <laughs> now he had 27 <laughs> goals, I think, the year we played mm-hmm. together in Montreal. So it clearly was working for him, but he could pick corners. But terrifying because he was always shooting high. Um, but yeah, like we, in that year in Farside, we lost the finals to Frolunda, who had Daniel Alfredson, but what they had was a young, spry, handsome Henrik Lundqvist who had not come over to Europe, come over from Europe yet. And I remember playing him in the final and they beat us and I'm like, that guy, I never even heard of Henrik Lundqvist, whatever, he was a sixth round pick or something. Like that goalie's unbelievably good. And you kind of got to feel... In Sweden, everyone like, no, this guy's really good. And I came home from that summer or from that season, was training in the summer at the same gym as a former childhood friend, former teammate, Kevin Weeks, who was then the starting goalie for the Rangers. And Weeks and I are talking at the gym and doing our thing. And he's like, how is Sweden telling the story? He's like, how's that Lundqvist? And I'm like, Weeksy, I'm sorry to say, man, but like, you're in tough. This guy is, (laughs) he's really, really good. Like he's you're going to be hard pressed to be to outplay him long-term. And sure enough, that's kind of what happened. So um, it's kind of funny that you bring Lundqvist up because we spent, we broke down the Metro last week and we talked about Washington and spent like two and a half of the five minutes. We talked about Washington, basically me discussing how good looking Henrik Lundqvist is. Well, both of us discussing that. Well, that's a, that's a universal acknowledgement. Yeah, he's he's uh, and a cool, good, cool guy too. So, uh, but as far as going to Europe for these kids, my problem, the issue will be, um, the challenges will be that the hockey is very different. So, like European hockey, North American hockey, we know that the rink, uh, we know how the rink, given that it's wider, lends itself tactically to playing a little bit differently, and it's not as intuitive to pick up as maybe you might think. Like, whatever, it's an extra, what is it, 15 feet on each side, like, in the width of the rink. That it's fine. It, it makes the game so different. And so, 
there's that. That 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 will be a challenge. So like, while it's important to play, and I I think they all should go there if they can, unless they got to go to school. Um, there's going to be that, like an adjustment to a different game that they're not going to end up playing. Hopefully, if they're going to be over in North America playing, there's the idea that um, those teams are professionals. They're not OHL teams trying to nurture a 17 year old draft eligible kid, no matter how good you are. Like chances are, a 17 year old is not going to be very good on those teams, even if they're going to be a future first rounder. Like they're not; those are pros whose livelihood it is to play hockey. Like it's a different ball game. So I wonder. Yes, they're practicing, they're getting the training, they're in a hockey environment, all good things. Like, they're not playing the 23 minutes they played in, in the CHL. There's no way. They're lucky that they're getting fourth-line minutes. They're not getting power play unless they're playing in the second or third division. So the actual role in the game, that might be a challenge as well. And then there's the other part of it. It's like, like these kids are 17, 18. Like, they're going to live in Europe. And while the world is smaller than it was when I certainly was a teenager – it's really different language, travel, driving, food, entertainment, all is going to be, plus we're doing it in a pandemic, all of which is going to be kind of be tricky to navigate for a 30 year old, let alone a 17 year old. So all those things would make it, you know, a challenging endeavor, even if I agree, like those guys want to be hockey players. It's not good to miss a 17 year old year of hockey and development. So you got to do something, but it's, it's, it's kind of, it will have its, its challenges to do it. You didn't go the junior route either. You went through collegiate, but even <laughs> no. in terms, but even in terms of facilities, cause I've, I like, you know, I, I, I've seen behind, I wrote one piece or never actually saw the light of day about the, uh, Oshawa generals. And I went behind the scenes there just to see what a day in the life was like. And their facilities are incredible. They, they have NHL mm. type facilities. They have, you know, just the, the, the amenities and, and the development aids that they have there. How different mm. is that going to be? If uh, like, for example, like you went to the, the Swedish elite league, but then you also yeah. played for the Cologne sharks in 2008, 2009. So I'm assuming maybe the, there was a bit of a difference between that, but what are these prospects going to be given in terms of actual, like what's around them? What, what's, what's, what they're given to improve. So, I mean, the nuts and bolts in there are there, but like, what, like surprisingly Cologne had better facilities than really? Farstad. Uh, no question. Like the rink at Farstad was lovely. Cologne has a 20,000 seat arena. Like it's massive. It's, it's legit. Um, uh, but like the Farestad gym, which Zdeno Chara lived in every single day, and I think I walked through it once because I got lost. <laughs> um, like it will, it felt like your high school gym from 1995. Like there was nothing there. A couple like curl bar. Like it was. There's nothing technology wise there. Um, I think the biggest difference, probably even from junior teams, is maybe like the infrastructure around your development. Like weights are weights. Like you yeah. can do plyometrics, you can jump, you can lift weights, you can do those things anywhere. But like they don't have the kind of breadth of staff that North American, certainly pro teams have, where you have strength guys and physio guys. And like they kind of blended their strength physio people were all kind of in one pot that they did a bit of both. Um, so they'll have the stuff there, but the structure and the kind of support around them will, will, be, will be different. And, but, but like, make no mistake, Mike, they'll get the work in. Like if they're playing, they're doing two a days on Monday and maybe Wednesday. Like it's like, I remember sitting there in Germany at the end of my career, I'm 34, 35. And it's, it was, if you can remember back then, it was like a financial crisis in that year of 08, 09. I actually and, like, watched we you getting, play in Germany once. Oh really? It was not pretty. I was like, not, 
but we're like, we're, we're doing two a days. I'm like, Hey, I don't want to do two a days and I don't want to ride the fan train serving beers to the game unless I get paid. Like you gotta, like someone's got to pay me yeah. uh, on time. So, um, they're, they'll, they'll get the work in, they'll get the work in. I do think it's a good thing. And whether it's Sweden, Finland, Switzerland, Germany, in many ways, I think what these young players will benefit the most out of getting being over there is that while maybe like skill development won't be as high based on their age and maybe kind of like the hockey intuitive IQ of understanding how to play the game might not be as high. What will be way higher than they are at right now is the general fitness strength and physical tools of those players. Like when I went to Germany, I'm like every single dude could was huge, strong, could skate and shoot a thousand miles an hour. Like, did they understand where to go all the time? Maybe not quite the same, but physically they were right there the same or better than so many people in North America. So I think kids who probably need to kind of continue to work on that part of their, their game and their, and their bodies and stuff, um, they will get value out of it, but it's not going to be quite as simple as, you know, hopping the bus to Oshawa and jumping in their fancy facility and, and doing their thing. So where would you go? Let's say, let's put yourself in their, in their perspective right now, you know, in, in right. your shoes, your, your uh, consensus first over or not first overall, first round pick. So in, Brant Clark, okay. who's okay. supposed to go in the top five. Cool. You're Brant Clark. Let's just say that you're not Mike Johnson, you're Brant Clark yeah. and the CHL, it's essentially, you're either going to be not hitting each other. So you're going to be playing, you know, Timbits where everyone follows the puck there's, around. They're together. not going to do that. There's no I, way. Of course. You can't there's, play that way. There's no way. It's yeah. not hockey. It's, it's ridiculous. No. Um, where would you go? Like, what do you think would be best for your development, right. best for your future career? So, without knowing Brant's game uh, that well, um, well, let's just say he is a I, defenseman that skates very well, will contribute offensively, and also hits like a psychopath. Okay, so like maybe for a defenseman, I would be inclined to go to um try to play in the whatever the premier division whatever that's called in each individual company like the top division because you can probably get 14 15 minutes and it would be worthwhile to kind of you know even if you're not playing the biggest role um i would i i think certainly germany and switzerland are probably closer in style to north america than finland and sweden I would steer them away from the KHL just because I've heard so many stories about the KHL yeah. just being insane. They might get paid more and Russia's got some really cool cities, but there's just so many stories about strange things happening to the KHL. Do you, and do you know any of those stories? Play. Can you tell any of those stories? I, I'm sure I've got like, I, I, what's the craziest one off the top of your head? Real not, not craziest one off the top of my head. KHL, uh, Freddie Brown. Somebody told me a story and you don't have to say names. It's okay. Somebody was, I think it was Freddie Bradley told me the story, but I don't think it happened to him. Okay. He's playing. Somebody on his team got cut. And, and the way it worked is like, okay, well, you got to pay the rest of the contract. It was like a quarter million dollar like buyout to go home to pay it out. So like, he's like, okay, we'll just send it to my bank. They're like, no, no, come to the rink. You're cut. He's like, come to the rink. He got a duffel with like $250,000 in it in cash. He's like, well, what, what? am I going to do with this? <laughs> so then he's like, well, I got to get out of here. So we go straight to the airport. On the way to the airport, what do you think happened to his car? He got stolen. He got carjacked. No got way. Hundred percent. That was a bag. setup. And so he's like, "Now what do I do? Am I going to go complain to the cops? No, I'm going to go continue to go to the airport. Get the hell out of here." So like, I don't know if that is like you know urban legend, but that story is there. I have other stories about like guys that I knew that played with there in the '04 lockout who were trying to get money out of Russia and were like 
going like the money tape to their shorts and stuff to, to try to smuggle enough money out of there because they couldn't they didn't trust the banking. So, uh, you know, so no KHL is what I, you're saying. So I'm saying if you're 17 on a and you have like your interact card, I'm not going to Russia. So I, I would probably, probably not. No, so I would probably probably head to Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Finland, one of those four countries, and I would have to take a real hard look at myself and be like, in many ways, I'm probably better off playing in the second division, certainly of Switzerland, of Sweden, or Finland, maybe probably not, probably not Germany, but of those other three countries, play in the second division and play a bigger role, maybe against younger players, and just be able to do more because I. I I got, I was in the NHL. I would like led the Coyotes in scoring. I went over to play for my Swedish team and I was on the third line. I never sniffed the power play. And I'm like, I don't blame them. We didn't lose a game when I was there. Like I get why they're doing it, but like, you're not going to dump a 17 year old kid coming over in December in your top six, let alone, you know, a 30 something year old proven NHLer. So just, I would find a spot where I get to play, play the most. Cause you're going there to play, not to say I played in whatever your garden or IFK or whatever it's going to be or Davos. I'm going there to play as much as I can and be as good as I can be. And that probably means taking a step down in level so that you can have the biggest impact and, and grow. Cause you're not there to make a career. You're there just to grow as a player. Interesting, man. This is the, the fact that they have to be having these conversations right now. Like this is, this is probably it's the crazy. most, man, it, like you, you went the collegiate route obviously, but like in terms of your draft year, like that's got to be the most stressful time for a young athlete like you're 17 Mm -hmm. 18 years old you have your whole life ahead of you and now we're in the middle of a pandemic and you might have to be uprooting your life to go overseas away from your parents everything Mm -hmm. like that like how crazy must that be it's it would be very stressful i mean listen i I have a 16 year old daughter so i have a daughter the same age as these guys so like i mean it's hard on young it's hard on everybody you guys me what my parents my kids like everyone is struggling what's going on but you know, the, the, the timeline for an athlete is so finite and, and it's so structured and, and, and it's very important that this year is, you know, a setup year for so many of these guys to go in and achieve something they've been training for, for however long, but they might only have 10 years to do it. And they might only have a window. You're talking about top five picks, but what if you're a second rounder or a third rounder? Like, and you might make it, but you might not. Your window is probably three years to make the NHL, to make an impact, to, to establish yourself as a professional hockey player in North America. And you're going to take a development year where those coaches are supposed to be able to see you and evaluate you. And you think you can help yourself in that regard. It's, it's brutal. Now, as far as traveling around, anyone who's really good, who plays in North America, whether you're American or Canadian, like I'm assuming they've been around the world playing hockey. Like whether you're a U.S. national development program player, whether you're a, you played under 17s, under 18s, under U20s, Memorial Cups, Telus Cups. What like they they've been around the world doing things, and like I'm from Toronto, I might have to go play junior in North Bay. Like North Bay is not Toronto. North Bay might as well be Helsinki for all I care. So like they could probably get over the the difficulty in being away from their families because they've done that. But I think just the uncertainty about where their careers are going and how it's going to get there, when it's been so mapped out, like athletes, we th- like we thrive or at least we are programmed to deal with a schedule. Like every day you are told where to go and when every month you are told where to go and when every summer, you know what you're supposed to do. Gym start now, training start now, go here, go there. You're told where to go and you know way in advance what you're doing. And I think that's the greatest thing that athletes will struggle with and probably have the last six, seven months is just the uncertainty of not knowing and not being told 
where they're doing, what they're doing, and the structure that's going to be in their day and in their life. And that is a challenge for anyone, even more so a hormonal maturing teenager who is figuring themselves out, let alone trying to figure out their hockey career. Ever like a mess at the best of times. Like my brother is 17 and without <laughs> exactly. a pandemic, he is a Michael. I love you, but he is a disaster. And I'm like, Oh God, please. Like I'm hoping my 18 year old sister like knocks some sense into him, but that's also like up in the air. Well, I put myself back into, into the shoes when I was 17. Like there's no way I would be able to be trusted to let not only just live alone, but live alone in a different continent and a different country, like, and to better myself at that point too. Like my parents just be like, if he can make it back alive, that's a win. <laughs> yeah. it, it, let that's, alone chalk one up for the Stevens family. You're, you're in exactly. one piece. <laughs> but let alone, let alone come back as a better athlete than he was. No way. It, it's ridiculous. Right. But as long as I think my parents are basically like, as long as you don't get in trouble. So basically you're a good person and you get nineties at school, then you're do good. your thing. Otherwise mm-hmm. you don't get nineties. You're dead. <laughs> that was basically the Dory family. Well, this all predicates no, on, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Zoom is great. No, I I love, saying, I'm not going to go down this. the parentals cause like, yeah, but anyway, but one, I think one thing, one part of this equation that we're not going to get too deep into, but it's really important right now is your agent. And like how your agent helps facilitate this, how connected are they in Europe? How can they set up that kind of support system for you wherever you end up going so that you can, you know, have a chance to thrive and, you know, agents, we kind of joke, like, you know, I talk to you every three years when I need a new contract. Other than that, I'm just, you know, I'm just paying you along the way. Just kidding. Pat Morris from Newport, one of the best in the world. It's all good. <laughs> Had him forever. Uh, but I think like this is where having an agent that has a little, little pull, little jam, little, some connections throughout the, the, the world would help um, give you a best bet to, to be successful. And this is all predicated on games actually coming back next year in the NHL, which seems oh, right. like a toss up right now. Yeah, because also trending down is uh, human contact because we're in lockdown again because um, guys, I can't stress this enough. Wear a goddamn mask. It's okay. So it, hang on. Where are we on the like? So mask etiquette. And I've I've gone I've gone right over the edge. So now if I see someone wearing a mask like this. I'm like, nose, oh, yeah. and I'll say it, like over your nose, it goes over your nose. And it's, I know, I don't want to be rude, I don't want to be snarky and snippy, but I'm like, come on. So what, yeah, in terms of mask etiquette, so are you, because I wear it like all, all over the place. I live right downtown, so I wear it, you know, we're, we're in close proximity no matter what. So I always wear it. You even, also don't leave your condo ever. Yeah, but when I do, like I'll go for walks, you know, you have to have some, some exercise it's great exercise what is that i don't know what exercise is you mike you don't know what exercise is do you kidding me i got a peloton i crush that thing really all right workouts at mike's house have you forced has has your wife forced you to make a uh, video diary of your peloton (laughs) i was going to make i was going to try to make you know the commercial that got a lot of uh, yeah that's what i'm referencing criticism or attention for like Cause I was given it as a gift cause I had knee surgery and I need rehab and I'm like, uh, I was going to do like the whole bit, but I, I elected not to, but no, I am a Peloton user like everyone else in the NHL right now. But yes, I am, I am full mask all the time. Now, if I'm walking around my neighborhood with like just me and like my dog or whatever, like I don't put a mask on to walk outside by myself. Yeah, that's but I have one in my pocket always, and and anytime I go in, like I've had to travel a few times, go down to New York, um, 
or New Jersey to go to work at NHL Network, which kind of felt sketchy going on the airplanes, but it's, it's all good. Uh, I've been tested every time I've come home and I've always been negative. But um, like if I'm at a, in the elevator, like I don't even let people get in the elevator with me. I'm like, you can take the next one. Like even with a mask on, I'm like, no, you just take the next one. And if I'm at the lobby, I'm like, go ahead, I'll take the next one. But I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to err on the side of caution every time. What is, was we, we did this last time with, the, or we asked this question to we, ourselves with the news that, you know, all these vaccines are coming out. It's going to be great. But what is the first, the, the day that it gets said, we are allowed to go back to as close to normal as we can, you know, uh, you mm-hmm. can go indoors without a mask. Things are safe. What's the first thing you're going to do? Should we tell them what we both said? Yeah. What did you sure. guys say? You might spark something. Okay. So I said that I was going to take my grandmother out for dinner. Um, which is objectively more kind than what Mikey said. I just, well, like, (laughs) I'm hitting the bar and doing shots. Yeah. No, I I said Um, I'm going to go see a movie. Yeah. We're going to go to the Maddie. I am going to the Maddie the second I have Uh, the vaccine and getting exceptionally destroyed. (laughs) Okay. Well, I probably wouldn't do that because I'm too old for that stuff. But I mean, (laughs) in a practical measure, we have a joke, uh, like my daughter and I, who's, not old enough to drink, but we're going to pop some champagne when we get vaccinated. That's the together as like a little household, like, okay, life starting again. But personally, I would probably want to travel okay. somewhere warm and sit on a beach and feel kind of good just being on vacation. And two, like I would probably want to go to concerts and shows. Mm-hmm. Where, What's like, the first you concert you'd like to see? And... Dream concert, dream uh, lineup. I mean, I got a bit of a man crush on Dave Grohl, so I'd love to see the Foo Fighters. Uh, nice. I've not seen them live, so I would definitely see them. They, they, if I'm going to be like super poppy, I'd like I'd go, like, go see Bruno Mars. Oh, he's uh, awesome! I've live. heard he's really good live. Yeah, quite a good I show. And Voice of an now, angel. don't make fun. I also enjoy um, like theater shows. Oh, me too. I'm in New York all oh, the time. Oh, like Ed Mervish kind of thing. To, right. So, like, I've seen Les Mis like seven times. So, like, I will go watch Les Mis again. Yeah, and it comes back. I went, I went to, uh, when I was living in New Jersey, it is shocking to me still that I worked in New Jersey for 16 months and never once ran into Mike. Um, yeah. Cause we were kind of in the same. You should have been hanging out we actually the, had on this Broadway. Running joke. We had this running joke, me and my best friend in New Jersey, cause she would make all the credentials, I guess like uh-huh. NHL network, or maybe it was like TSN requested a credential for you. And we genuinely thought you were coming to the game. And I, straight up almost called in sick like i can't do it because i won't be able to manage um but no i went to we went to broadway a couple times and i'm right there with you like broadway's awesome have either of you seen hamilton yes i only know the songs i'm the same way yeah it's my daughter can quote them verbatim like sing them verbatim start to finish she'll listen to them in the car like she's like can i get control of the, the music i'm like go ahead and she'll put on hamilton so Maybe that will be one of the first thing I will have to take her. There we go. Oh, that's not cheap. <laughs> My, oh, no, it's going to be, especially after, like, with all the pent up of the pandemic, you're going to yeah. have to do some well, crazy things to get tickets there. Worst part about it is that my parents had tickets to Hamilton in Toronto. It was coming in March. Yes. Like, yes. March or April. Supposed- and they were not taking me, but they were taking my two daughters to go see it. Oh, and, you missed uh, the invite. They had to cancel. Yeah. They had to cancel anyways. <laughs> well, speaking of COVID and how it's impacting the world uh hockey obviously is getting impacted by it we don't really know when it's going to come back gary bettman said i think it was yesterday that they want to have to want to start on january 1st and have a full 82 game season with fans which is just impossible mm-hmm. there's well, no that's way to want happen. that yeah 
I want it's that a, too. I want to win the lottery. Yeah, I want to be happen. married to Florence Pugh. It's not going to happen, <laughs> but it's it's great to have goals and dreams. Um, That's right. So get, because and now there's this whole thing going on with the players' association and and uh, the I guess the NHL making concessions. The average person has no idea what this is. Yeah, average- I tried to explain like escrow and everything to Mikey and. Um, I did not do it well. So we're no, going to get didn't. someone who played in the NHL to explain to us why escrow is terrible, who also happens to have a finance degree, so which makes him yeah. smarter than probably 98% of the league. So at, like speaking, to, explain it to me, an idiot. Mm-hmm. What What is going on here? What like, because I, I, I are they making further concessions? Are they, are they just, uh, there's, I, what, what's happening? Right. So I think that to try to nuts and bolts it, make it simple. Um, the players and the league created the new CBA for six years last March, prior to the return, whenever it was March, April, prior to return to play in the pandemic. So like they knew the, 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 the backdrop with which they're making this, this uh, labor agreement. And in it, it caps escrow at 20% this year. And I think it's 14%. Then it's 9%. Then it's six and a half, six and a half, six and a half. That's like the six years capped. Now, the reason why it's important that it's capped is because players only get 50% of revenues. Now, if revenues this year, there are no fans, revenues will be so low that if there was no cap on the escrow, players might get taxed 50 plus percent. So if you make a million dollars, they're going to take 500,000 of it right away. Then you get to pay, you play for the other 500,000. That doesn't, that's not appealing to players because, you know, they don't, they're not getting anywhere near their face value of their contract but they put these artificial caps on there. Now, the problem will be for the owners that the 20% escrow will still leave the players receiving 60 or 70% of the revenues like they, they, because the revenues are gonna be so hurt. So I think what the owners have come in and asked for is say, listen, we're gonna be short money um, because we're not gonna get gate revenue. So can you, option one was, players are already deferring 10% of their salaries this upcoming season for three years from now. They asked them to defer, I think, another 16%. So 26%. Now, deferrals is different because you get that back. Mm-hmm. Like, you, that's not tax. That's just the players, the owners don't have to pay it because they don't have the cash. Now they can pay you later. And then they keep the escrow at 20%. The other, the other thing they offered was to change the escrow levels in years four, five, and six up from six to 13 or something like that. So, like, that's a problem because if you're a player who has a contract in those years, you know, you have to pay twice as much in tax. So there's two problems with this. One, players are like, wait a second. We just made a deal in a pandemic. How can you come to us and say, well, we need more changes? We just made the deal. Mm-hmm. So on a competitive, like on some sort of moral grounds, the player's like, we could never do this to you. What happens if we sign this deal, then you just announce uh, an expansion team and say, wait a second, we want to change the CBA so players get a piece of the expansion fee. What would the owner's reaction to that be? Uh, they would tell them to no. kick rocks. Yeah, they would <laughs> right, tell them to pass. Like they'd tell them to bug off. Exactly. And so the players on a principled stand, like, wait, we don't want to change anything because we shouldn't have to. We just did this. And which is fair. Owners, owners, you guys get the financial upside. You get the the valuation growth in the in, in your franchise. You get the fees. You get the profit, presumably, if you run your company well but you also then have to incur some of the risk of the downside, which is in weird, crazy times like this, or your team sucks, or there's a financial crisis, then you take the hit more than players. Cause you get the upside, you've got to take the downside. You don't get both. 
don't mitigate the downside and only take the upside. So Mike, what the problem is for the players, principal, and then obviously the, the, cha- the higher escrow later uh, hurts for a variety of reasons. And so many players, if you looked at the contracts that were just signed, their salaries are higher in years three, four, five, six, because escrow is going to be lower in years three, four, five, six. So like you can't change the rules after I sign my contract because that would have, I would have signed a different contract. So all that being said, it's the players have a principled stand here, but at the end of the day, I've been in it. I missed the whole year and a half in 04. Like I played 12 years. I missed a year of them, a year of that in a lockout. Like the owners have their teams for 30, 40, 50 years. Players have three, four, 10 years to play. And so if there is no hockey because they can't work out a deal, then, then that hurts the players more than it hurts the owners. But I will say this for all the okay. fans out there who like, the owners can't trigger a lockout right now. The language in the CBA stipulates they can't trigger a lockout. They have to go to arbitration to settle the dispute. So if they were to fast track it, there would be a, a resolution to this. You, the, the owners just can't lock out because there is an existing CBA. So um, if you're a player, you can see why they have problems with it. If you're the owners, you're like, I can also see why you like, hang on, like we're not going to have any fans like work with us here. Um, and that's what they're trying to work through right now. I feel like it's a good point though, to bring it up. Like the whole, you get the, the owners get the, like the benefits of having the valuation increase. Like you look at the, the way that the franchise values have increased over the past 15 years. Um, and then to not want any of the risk, I feel like it should be looked at as almost like an investment slash a stock market where you bought the team, you're responsible for the good and the bad. And you can't just lump the bad onto somebody else just because Well, you can try. Pandemic. Yeah. You can certainly you try. Can try. Right. Like, and that's why they're wealthy and that's why they're successful and that's why they're rich and that's why they own teams. Like they're not stupid right? They're all very exceptionally bright, successful people. Um, and if I ran a team, I'd ask for more from the players too. Like, I'm not going to give it away just because I want to be a good person because that's the right thing to do or the pro- like, I'm, I'm going to see what I can extract. Last point on this, because I know people get muddy down the waters, but no matter what happens at the end of whatever timeline, players will only ever get 50% of revenues. So even if escrow is artificially capped for the next six years, in year seven, eight, and nine, where that cap no longer exists, the players will have will probably carry a debt close to a billion dollars to the owners that they will have to make good on to get to even out the 50-50 payments. Like the owners aren't getting them this year and probably the next several years, but they're gonna get them eventually. And that would be if I'm an owner, that's my plea to the players. I'm like, I'm not, we're not taking any more than we otherwise will get. We're just gonna maybe take it earlier instead of years seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, killing you guys with escrow, why don't we spread it out over the next 10 years where it's never such a bad hit? That does make financial sense. If you're a player and are not playing in years seven through 10, kick, you kick rocks. Like I'm not, I'm not paying that. I don't have to, I'm out of the league. <laughs> and most of the league will be out of the league in six yeah. years. So it's gonna be hard to have guys that are currently playing saying, well, we're going to absorb more payments. So the guys who are playing seven years from now, which legitimately might be, might be 25% of the league, 30% of the league might still be playing seven years from now and carry that burden for them. That might be a hard sell within the PA, but as far as like the macro view, players are only ever going to get 50%. So they can pay for it now. They can pay for it in years four to six. They can pay for it in years seven to 10. 
it's always going to end up being 50 at the end of the day. It's going to be 30% of the league still playing in seven years. And somehow that 30% is going to include Joe Thornton. We don't know how. But he's still <laughs> I hope there. so. We were rookies <laughs> the same year. Patrick Marlowe, Joe Thornton, and me. Rookies the same Correct. year. The big three. That is yes. crazy. Big. Well, if you want to look at our rookie stats, you might say that. No, I know. I, I, I have them up right here. Your rookie oh, stats, you? 13 games, two goals, two assists, four points. Huge. No, the real rookie stats <laughs> the next year. My real year. 13 games is a little cup of tea when we, they weren't even the league then. The next 47 year. points in 82 games. That's that's spiffy, man. What's funny, what's that funny too. You a $4 million contract. Now. Oh, 100%. What, what's funny well, too is. I would have so, through this entire career at like a four to $5 million player. My whole career. I would have oh, yeah. 40 to 60 points my whole year, my whole career. Four and a half to $6 million my whole career. You outscored Casper Kapanen last year and look what he just got in a trade. It's crazy. First round value. Exactly. I got Darcy Tucker though. So I got exactly. Well, what's funny is I have the article from February 10th, 2000 pulled up in front of me, like from when you got traded, um, because okay. that's to find out, you know, all, all the details. And what's really funny is they, they say <laughs> so the trade makes the Leafs considerably tougher than they were a week ago, while the team's skill level has not suffered. Indeed. Yes, it did. <laughs> exactly. But indeed, based on a season so far, Tucker will bring more offense to the Leafs. Because they say you had just 11 goals in 52 games in mm-hmm. only two less games for the Lightning. Tucker had 14 goals, which mm-hmm. it seems like a bit of a stretch to support that narrative. It's it's a, well, it's a different team. In, yeah, crappy team in Tampa. You're not sharing your uh, ice time because as you like I went to Tampa, I played 28 games. I think I scored 10 goals or whatever yes. it was like I superstar. Scored, Mike. Not not you that, 11, but just like when you play for a bad team, you get more time. chances. Like Phil Castle. <laughs> but what's funny is like the, the way that they were trying to support this narrative is like, oh, the team is going to be an offensive juggernaut now because the guy they're acquiring has three more goals than the other guy does midway through the season. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, it's but, Toronto media for listen, it right there. Well, no, listen, Darcy is a good player. <laughs> and he, Darcy, I mean, is a beloved Toronto Maple Leaf. And like, and unquestionably, so no, I wasn't. But unquestionably, yes. Darcy <laughs> Way, have, look who's in, across yeah, from me right now. By one person, yes. Darcy is way tougher than I am. Like, played a way different kind of game. Far tougher, far more physical. No doubt about it. Um, Darcy was also better on the power play than I was. He played the back door on his left thing and slammed a whole bunch of back door goals in on a five on three and put up 20. Like, he did those things really well. He hit more. He's good in the playoffs. Emotional. Lots to like about what the way he played, clearly. Um, I was a better passer than Darcy. Yep. Uh, I was a better defensive player than Darcy. Um, and as better far as clapper. offense goes, well, no, he, he, he had great hands. Uh, we're pretty similar offensively. He did a lot of those other kind of like intangible physical stuff. I did kind of probably better defensive stuff. Um, but if you look at our, if you, my only, and I like, I joke Mike, because Darcy also lives around the corner. Like, mm-hmm. like, like his daughter has babysat my kids. Like we know their family, like they're, they're nice. He golfs with my dad. Like, <laughs> I did not like Darcy at all when we played against him, when I got traded for him, like, of course. like everyone who played against him. But when you come to meet him, he's a really quite a, a wonderful guy. Um, but people associate him with being like w- much, much better than me. And he was at some parts of the game. But if you look at our career stats, like even mm-hmm. just like dumb it down, to like points per game. I don't think many people would expect that I would have outscored him in our careers points per game. And but coming up next on this zoom call, we have Darcy Tucker to fight you over that. <laughs> Well, I didn't say five, not penalty minutes. I just said points. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you've explained the, the nuts and bolts of all this. Eventually, there is going to be some hockey that's coming back. And there was there was a lot of things that happened in this offseason. It, this was probably one of the most hectic free agency periods 
uh, at least, you know, in my very short media career that I've covered, yours is much longer. So maybe that that's different. But from the actual media angle of it first, because we'll go mm. through a lot of the other moves and get your, you know, just talk some hockey. We're all friends here. We'll talk some hockey. But first, what like what was it like being behind the scenes for that? What, how different was it from a. Uh, I, I mean, the dra- for example, the draft went like seven or eight hours this year. It was oh crazy. Oh, my God. It was nuts. What was it like on your end covering one of the most hectic free agency periods in recent memory in the middle of a pandemic? Um, well, like it was almost nice because it kind of felt normal. Like, you know, every, everything kind of stopped in March, whenever it was, and haven't called any games. And, you know, TSN studios were shut and network studios were shut. So the fact that we all got to kind of get back together remotely and kind of stayed away from each other in this different kind of setup was actually really nice to be back in studio and have it feel somewhat normal. Um, but the other part about it was, and nobody knew the answer to this and I thought it was fascinating. And we're still figuring it out is what impact the world was going to have on hockey. And nobody knows cause we'd never seen it before. So were contracts going to be really different was, was the demand for free agents like Mike Hoffman going to be really different. Was nobody going to get five year terms? Like we thought some of these things might happen. A lot of them, did happen that way um so kind of trying to adapt to a landscape we've never seen before which was interesting to me wow fair enough yeah i feel like we we're at a point now where there's still like a bunch of free agents that haven't signed you look at like mike hoffman granland 86 defensemen it all feels the like. rfas except for debrusque yeah debrus signed yesterday too yeah. i think right yeah okay yeah. um okay so you're you're broadcasting on a panel but you do TSN color and you're on NHL network. How does that mm-hmm. differ? So how does what you do in game differ from you're sitting in a studio kind of chatting and you have a little bit longer? Well, that's the biggest difference, right? Like in studio, especially NHL network where we can be on for four or five hours straight and you kind of have a chance to really extrapolate and like, you know, but it's good. Like you're doing a game, there's doing a night, there's 12 games, you're jumping out of games and you see something happen. And if you want to spend seven minutes talking about it, breaking it down, showing what happened over and over and why you have the time and time is a luxury in television. You don't often get much of. So, um, NHL network is great for that. Um, you know, very much a lot of what we do at NHL network is I think the show is called on the fly or something, but so like it's done, like you just watch games and you're reacting and doing goals and doing highlights and all the rest of it. So, um, that's different. The amount of time you have available to you is different games. It's tight. I'm the color guy. So the play by play guy carries it. I get in and out trying to explain. Uh, I think it was John Davidson who many people regard as maybe the greatest color guy ever. Um, he's like, my job, play by play guy says, what happened? My job is to say why, how and why. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it went, you know, and make it entertaining and make it fun and kind of, you know, try to be informative, but like, you know, at its, at its core, how and why. And if I can explain in some sort of entertaining fashion, informative fashion, how and why games are going the way they're going, players are playing the way they're playing, either having success or not having success, how and why, if I can answer that, then hopefully I'm doing my job. Who's your favorite play-by-play guy to work with? 30-second sound bites. Yeah, exactly. Who's your favorite play-by-play guy to work with? I'm assuming, you know, the same way that that we kind of idolize these guys, I'm sure maybe you had some of that too. Is there there a guy that, you know, you're on the call sheet and you're like, hell yeah, I get to work with this guy? (laughs) That is such a loaded question. How am I going to answer that? How can you can't answer that? Cause 
You, you work with the same three or four guys. I can't pick one of them. Um, well, yeah, I want to make sure that whoever you don't mention in this answer, they know that you <laughs> hate them. <laughs> right. Is a personal vendetta. Exactly. Gord Miller sucks. Um, <laughs> I mean, That's the name of the episode. Gord Miller sucks yeah. with Mike Johnson. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, you know what? I think given that I started with TSN, I've been fortunate that TSN really has the best people in the world at doing yeah. this. I mean, you know, from, from when I, you know, Gord Miller, obviously we know him very well. Uh, Chris Cuthbert, you know, he obviously works at, at the other place now, but you know, had a lot of games with him. I do a whole bunch of games with Brian Mudrick, uh, who does a Habs regionals and he's really quite excellent at it. Um, so they all have their own nuances. They're all a little bit different. Um, the bigger challenge really is because I'm different than Ray Ferraro, than Jamie McLennan, than, Louis DeBrus, then Craig Simpson, like everyone does their job differently. But the true test of who you like is the morning after. It's Ooh. the travel. It's the hotels. And like that's it's the it's the it's the cabs. It's like can you get along like in a five day road trip when like I'm waiting for you again for the cab? Like forget <laughs> like this. Gordon I'm Ray. Or like, <laughs> like Gordon Ray always butting heads about when they leave and all the rest of that. So like that to me is is the, the truer test. Like on the air, everyone does a really good job and, I'm, and we're fortunate to work with them. Kind of a cop-out answer, but I can't see any other way. But it's really like traveling. Um, that's when you find out like, can we get along? Or is it like, I'll see you on the plane? Because that's where it ends up with a lot of time. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't wait for you. I can't like have breakfast. Like, I'll just see you on the plane or I'll see you at the rink. So are you in, so airport traveling, are you like me where you will show up an hour before your flight and just like stroll on the plane? Or are you like Ray Ferraro where you need to be there three hours early for a domestic flight? No, 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 no. I won't leave my house until an hour before the flight. You like to live dangerously. gambler. No, no, no. I live 20 minutes away. There's never any traffic. I have every pass. What's that? What's that George Clooney movie up in the air or whatever it's called? Oh yeah. See, the next is, that's me. I love it. We, we, we have like every possible pass status because you travel so much. So like you walk in, you walk through and there you go. Like you sit down. There's no point being there any time earlier than you have to be. So no, I go late always. Who's, who's your, I was, who's your favorite and who's your least favorite to travel with? Who's throw some people under the bus. Let's go. Um, <laughs> Just, let's see. So, uh, Cuthbert like to go real early all the time. And mm. I'm like, so him and Ray can buddy up. I don't want to go early. Like I don't want to wake up. We got a 9am flight. I don't want to wake up at six. I want to wake up at seven 30. So, um, he is Gord Miller is good to travel with. Cause Gord always rents cars. Okay. And so I never have to take cabs and he'll always drive. So that's always a nice little perk. So you don't have to take game to and from the games. <laughs> um, Muddy's fun to travel with because he likes red wine. So every game, post game, mandatory red wine, you know, uh, wind down. So, you know, everyone's got their pluses and minuses, but uh, yeah, they all work out. What you should have done is when I was in New Jersey, we had this uh, thing. So like after the game, post game, I had to do like my post game reports. We'd be done depending on like how hectic it was. I'd be done at like 1130, maybe 12. And then I don't know if you've been to Peru, but like, red's beer garden across the street it's like this like german mm-hmm. bar thing all of us used to go there and it would be like the sales guys hockey ops like ray shiro would come the one time john hines came which is brave as hell in new jersey but we would just go and like the bartender knew us and he would just like hey 
I know what you're getting. I know what you're getting. I know what you're getting. We won tonight. So everyone's getting a shot. And it was just mm-hmm. fantastic. Well, Rach, I was told by the police not to be out in Newark around the rink after midnight. I was the finals. When were they? When was Jersey in the finals? Uh, 2014? 2011 was no, no, 2012. 2012. I got mugged. So that checks out. Okay. Multiple so we're times. doing NHL <laughs> network. On, we have the big set set up by the like the little courtyard there with the statue. Oh, the plaza. Yeah, right? championship plaza. The plaza. So we're there and we're doing our post game. It was an overtime game. It ended at 11. So we're doing it. And it kind of takes a couple hours to get it going. So it gets to be about 1245. And the cops who are there to now it's nobody's there anymore. It's like tumbleweeds going to the street. It's it's, you know, it's dark and it's desolate. And the cops are like, Kate, hey, permits up at one. You guys got to go. And we're not done. Like we got to finish the show. And our producer's like, no, we need like another 30 minutes. Like, no, you got to go. be done at yeah. one. And so they're like, they're, cause they say we're done at one. So you gotta be done at one. And so the producer's like, no, no, we're fine. We'll finish it up. And then what they're like, no, nobody's here after one. Cause then we're not here. So like we finish up somehow we wrap up at one and we're walking back behind the ring. So we have like basically the length of the arena to walk to the, to the, to the media entrance, like gated area. And so it's maybe 200 yards. 300 yards, whatever it is. Maybe. And, and there's no one on the street. It's June. It's warm. We're just like, so we all start walking. They're like, no, get in our car. Like they had to drive us the, the block and a half so to make sure that we were safe. So that's why I don't oh, go wow. for beers by the Prue at 1230 at night. Yeah. Like when we, so when I moved to New Jersey and Mike, you would know this, there's a courtyard Marriott that's basically attached to the rink. How would I know this, Rachel? And I I've never been there. Before. <laughs> I lived there for two and a half months okay. in the middle of a gang war. Awesome. So I got used to hearing gunshots every night. Cool. It was really bad. And it got to the point where um, it's no secret that I like McDonald's. Um, I went out one day at like 630 and it was dark because it was like, I want to say it was like January. It was dark and I was wearing my Adidas like ultra boost shoes instead of winter boots, like an idiot weird flex but okay i walked to the <laughs> mcdonald's which is like 100 meters away yeah. and a guy literally held me up and was like give me your shoes and this was like two or three weeks into me being there i was like yep here you go walked back to the hotel in my socks called my mom and she goes we're hiring you private security this is ridiculous like it's the question it's so unsafe. Been, what if he said give me your nuggets would you have given your life for that? Would you give them up or would you have used those ultra boosts to go on the, the <laughs> fastest 100 meter ever to get away from this guy to not give up your McDonald's? Ooh, no, I would have given up the chicken nuggets. <laughs> no, I think you would have uh, laid down well. your life for McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know what? <laughs> Maybe. Speaking of red wine too, I don't know. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm only 24. So I don't th- I'm, I'm, I think I'm too young for this, but something about it just ravages me lately. Like I... I had a couple glasses of it the other night, and I had an I had a splitting headache. Then is is this something that is this an age thing? Like you're you're you know the el- elder statesman in the in the group chat here. Can you tell me you is this me what I have yeah. to look forward to for the rest of my life, or what's going on here? N- well, yes, yes, uh, but I do think now I'm not like a wine complete connoisseur, but I think depending on the kind of wine and the quality of wine that you mm-hmm. drink may directly relate to your hangover. And some of the tannins in them and whatever, like depending where they are, they give you more or less of a hangover, I think due to dehydration. But I'm not exactly sure. Mike, we'll get together when we're allowed to. Okay. I'll order the wine. Okay. We'll drink too much of it and we'll check in the next morning and see how we're doing. 
I appreciate And just to make be clear that Rachel's not invited. No, no, no. Yes. She doesn't have any more. Okay. Well, so, thank you. That was my one stipulation. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. I will drink my nice rum in my house alone, <laughs> like the single loner person that I am. Um, yeah, while we're at it, please stop sliding in my DMs with marriage proposals. If you live in the US, I'm not marrying you. Um, okay. Unless it's on. a nice so, offer. No. Yeah. So in our first in our first episode, we did like a little thing at the end, just a real quick aside. The first episode, we did a little thing at the end where Rachel kind of we, we were talking about what it's like being on dating apps. And Rachel put out like she, she essentially said like the weirdest messages she's got in the past. And I think that gave some people what they thought was a, a an invitation to try and mm. make the list next time. And so it was so uh, unfortunately, she, she had to deal with a little uh little turbulence after that first one. So that we're learning. Still yeah, dealing I, I with it. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it's like to be your guys and and the single person. It's, it's it, like, it's a minefield that I could not navigate. Our lives are clearly very hard. So we, we want to put that out <laughs> yes. there. Yeah. Yeah. Get that out there. A running um, theme. So, you know, we're, we're a hockey podcast. Might as well talk about hockey, not red wine the whole time. This, like I said, it's been a crazy off season. What was your favorite free agent signing? There's been a lot of them. There've been a lot of good ones, a lot of really bad ones too. What uh, hmm. what, what left you coming away from it being like this is great? Um, Craig Smith in Boston. Yeah, uh, I thought a big was fan of that. was savvy. Um, you know, he's not a super sexy player, but the fact that you know he feels like a Boston player, you know, just kind of smart and, and and responsible and does it all five on five, which he'll not get any power play time there. I think I put together on like some of the effect that when you look at the last three years, his goals per minute score five on five. He's like 24th in the league ahead of like Matthew Kachuk and Patrice Bergeron and Leon Dreis, like really elite level players. He, you know, he scores at a greater rate five on five and has now for a few years. So I, I, know I thought like that guy was uh, pretty cagey mm. um, term dollars, all that. I, I, I like that one. Um you know, I, I think anytime the big like Petro goes to Vegas, Vegas is going to be crazy good between him and Shea Theodore. Um, the way they play, the kind of way they roll their lines. I don't think those two guys will probably play together very often. So you're going to have one of the two of them on the ice for 50 of the 60 minutes. Um, now, talk to me in five years. Well, you know, is Petro going to age gracefully? Maybe he doesn't play super fast anyways. So, you know, you think maybe speed's not as much a part of his game as his other guys. Um, but I, I do like, I love the fact that Vegas is like, you know what, forget it. We're going, we're all in, we're, we're going for it now. We're, we're going to go over the cap. We're going to eat 12 million in goalies. We're going to trade away, like whatever. They're very aggressive, which I appreciate. But as a player, I mean, cause there's been this big sort of, I guess, narrative or, or criticism of it now that Vegas essentially, they will sign these guys long-term and then they'll find, you know, a, a prettier bell of the ball, if you will, or, or a, you know, some somewhere else that they like down the line and they'll just ship this mm-hmm. person out. Like Nate Schmidt mm-hmm. signed a, what, five-year, six-year extension last year and then they found mm-hmm. an upgrade on him and they shipped him out. How much do you think that culture is going to, or I guess not that culture, but I mean, how much do you think that that sort of mindset is infecting the culture of the, of the Golden Knights who essentially have... I mean, th- their whole thing, their whole identity was that we're misfits, we're a family. You know, we came together because we were mm. 
booted out the door of our own now teams. they're just like ugly stepsisters being shipped and now, now Cinderella you, shows up <laughs> yeah exactly and you might yeah. sign yeah. long term and then they you know a better guy comes up down the line and they're like all right well am I gonna get shipped out now where's the stability here Completely fair. And I think if you were to look at the way that room feels or operates for their first year when they were, I think they did embrace the kind of we're the lovable losers. Nobody wanted us and we're going to do it together. And I think, think that bonded them together, plus the Vegas shooting and all the rest of, you know, some really yeah. tough stuff that happened there. But I think their their atmosphere would be different now because now they're just another team, another team chasing it. But, the, you know, there's, there's nothing kind of unique about them. But I will say this, though, like, Nate would be pissed off. But if you were to talk to Nate Schmidt, the year before getting to Vegas, he was making 1.2 as the seventh defenseman in Washington. Two years later, he signed a $30 million deal. So like, I don't think he can really complain, like, bitch at Vegas for anything. And if you don't want to get traded, guess what? Get a no trade if you're capable of getting one. If not, get a different profession. No one's trading the accountant. No one's trading the plumber. Do something <laughs> different. Like, that's part of your job, right? So if you're good enough, get the protection. If you're not... And don't you think Nate Schmidt could have had protection if he said, pay me $3 million a year, but give me a no move. Then I said, okay, no problem. It's like, you can do things about it if it's going to bother you that much. And he's gone. It's amazing how fast athletes turn the page on their best friends, on like like their brother. We're going to be together forever. And then like, you know what? We got a better player than you. We're going to have a better team now. So while yes, the human reaction is we're going to miss you professionally, not really because we got a better player than you so the guys that are still there kind of learn to embrace the 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 reality of of the business and 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 chasing better players so um now if you did that all the time mike you make a good point at some point they might say you might say do i want to sign a long-term deal here because without trade protection because i do realize that they are aggressive and there is nobody who is above being traded there is no loyalty here to that in that regard and maybe you might choose to sign somewhere else but when you're good, when you're playing sold-out stadium, when you play in a tax-free state, when you have a very aggressive owner that treats you really well, you put up with a lot of stuff, including trading players that you liked. Okay, so Nate Schmidt gets clearly he's the ugly stepsister here. Gets traded yeah, he's to Vancouver. For an ugly yeah, he's a pretty good-looking stepsister. Okay, yeah. fine. Um, he gets traded to Vancouver, which. I kind of want your assessment on because every time I look at Vancouver doing something, I just, I shake my head. Cause I'm like, what are, what are you doing? One and two, you have to sign Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson after this season. And you're spending like $17 million on your fourth line and Tyler Myers. Like that just seems irresponsible, not good. So what's your assessment on what Vancouver is doing and why? Okay, preface this, no, two parts of this. When they signed Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle, mm-hmm. that day I said, you can't give those guys four-year contracts. So it's, this is not revisionist history. I was on record. Not that okay. I don't, like they're fine players, whatever, but you can't give fourth-line guys four-year deals because what happens is you get yourself pinched later on when you wish you had that space. But you also can't fault Vancouver for thinking the salary cap was supposed to be 88 next year. In 89, like they're supposed to have six, seven, eight more million dollars to play with, as was everyone. But you, you know, you create your plan. And Rachel, you would know better than I, every organization has a plan that stretches out one year, three years, five years, seven years, and yes. you chart your course. And you do that based on expectations of the salary cap going wherever. So it's not gone there. So they are in a particularly tough spot, maybe more so than others, but some of it's of their own making. 
I mean, I think, you know, Tyler Myers is, is a good, is a good NHL defenseman. Is he a, you know, a six and a half million dollar, whatever he ended up getting five and a half. Probably not, especially when you need money. And I think there's this idea, like, I like Nate Schmidt as a player. I think he's actually quite good. I have no problem with his contract, him playing there. You need someone to play defense. So that, you know, sign Thatcher Demko. Thatcher Demko's not getting a big deal. I'm, he's just not. He's not. He's not. Even if he has a good year this year, he breaks it doesn't matter. This year. One good year. What did, what did Jordan Bennington get? Three and a half million dollars? Uh, I think he got like four and a quarter. Two by eight. It was decent. Two, so four. So like four is not a lot of money in today's NHL. So is no, he going to no, no, like is he gonna do better? At than, seven per maybe. Is he going to do better than Bennington? 4.4. No, they're not well, winning the cup. cup. So he's not making 4 million bucks. So like I can stomach whatever I got to pay him three years at three and a half, whatever it's going to be. Um, that's not an issue. I think the issue is Hughes and Patterson. Did they forecast them being this good, this fast? And, and, and where is the market for those guys, those kind of guys in this post pandemic world? What is it? What is Dubois getting? What is Barzell getting? What is Pedersen getting? We knew what they were getting before. Nine or 10. What are they getting now? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be seven or it's going to be 10 still. Uh, but I hear you with Vancouver. They got to flush out salaries. Like they couldn't afford Tyler Toffoli at 4 million bucks. Like Tyler Toffoli is a good signing at $4 million. Yeah, that's value. Whatever it was. That's a great value and value that Vancouver needs. Like goals and value. Um, and they were not able to keep them because of these other things they've done. Vancouver also is a unique market in that they rely, like they need to be competitive to be sold out. They need to be sold out to drive the revenues, to make money. Like, like there is, we always evaluate organizations in this vacuum where money doesn't matter. Like fans don't matter. Sweet sales don't matter. Sponsorships don't matter. Like just how do we make the best possible team regardless of what that ends up doing to the revenues for the next three years. And Vancouver's a, a team that can't, sit on a crappy team for half, for three or four years because nobody shows up and they lose a ton of money and they don't want to do that. So I think some of these signings, whether it's Myers, whether it's those older guys, were part of trying to get better earlier so that they had fans in the stands to make enough money so they don't lose money. So I guess with Vancouver, the main thing is, is it might not be exactly who they got or who they might have to get. It's who they lost. Because that's essentially what the market was freaking out about, is that they had three or four big names hitting free agency this year. They had, you know, Toffoli, uh, Tanev, and Markstrom, and they lost all of them. And they had stat- lost Stetcher as well. It, it seemed, the reports were kind of scattered. It seemed like they were offering Tanev roughly what he got from Calgary. It seemed like they were offering Stetcher roughly what he got. But there was clearly some negotiation thing that happened there. You know, you were a player. I'm assuming you've been in contract negotiations before can you take me through what their perspective might be in that situation? Why they wouldn't want to go back to Vancouver? Why, you know, they, what happened there? Uh, well, I mean, without knowing exactly the, the details of the negotiation, I mean, I think for Tanov, I think there might've been a little bit more term involved in Calgary than there was in, in Vancouver. And there's also the element whether Stetcher or Tanov, not so much Markstrom, but of wanting to be wanted. And when you're negotiating with your current team, even though Troy Stetcher is he's from out there in Vancouver, near Vancouver, and, and it's a hometown thing. And like you, but if they're kind of humming and hawing, like, we're not sure, well, you know, we can offer you one year. Then Detroit comes in and offer you multiple years and they want, like, you want to be wanted. You want to make, feel like a priority, even though you know you, where you stand within the context of, of the organization and, and the hockey world, you want to feel like you're important. And maybe for a guy like Stetcher, um, he felt like he would be 
more important in Detroit and that might chase him out of there. I can't fault Vancouver for not wanting to go term on Markstrom and Tanev. Like I, I get why they make those decisions. Um, mm. They're hard. They might be worse this year because of it, but like I think in two, three, four years, they're going to be better off maybe not having done those things. So I understand where they're coming from um, playing hardball. So Foley one, I don't get because I think he's a good player. And I think for $4 million, it's great value. But he was a free agent, so maybe he didn't want to go back to Vancouver. Maybe that was his call, not the team's. Um, the player does have a stay in this as well. But uh, they will be very different. And, um, you know, I don't know, is Demko Holpe going to give you what Markstrom Demko did? I don't think so. And if they don't, then they're going to be in trouble because they don't have an airtight defense. Their goalies have to be good. So that, that will be the big question is can Demko or Holpe or both of them or one of them or any of them play well enough to keep them competitive? It's a good point. I mean, the, this is just being, this has been a season or I guess a, an off season where we can essentially see which teams value analytics in their evaluations and which teams don't. And, you know, as a broadcaster, we've seen that this has worked its way into the mainstream broadcasts a lot more lately. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, specifically though with you and Ray. Yes. Can you talk about wanting to, I guess, put that in, like, put that into the national kind of platform? Because it's more being, you know, the the Corsi Wars on Twitter from 2013 and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And now it's actually hitting mainstream. We're seeing Sport Logic stuff on Sportsnet. And now you, you and Ray are trying to actually put that into where, you know, let's say your uncle who's sitting in his recliner is had to s- learn. You had to learn what plus minus was like 15 years ago. So how exactly. is it different? So just t- talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I say thanks because like it is something that I try to do and, and not everyone does. And um, so I, the way I look at it is if we go back to my, my, my primary job, how and why, right? And mm-hmm. trying to understand how and why and, and what is happening. Um, like any tool you can use, call it what you want. What I call it anything. Like if there's a tool out there that can help me understand the game better, understand what's happening better, evaluate players better. Why wouldn't I not want to use it? You can call it analytics. You can call mm-hmm. it eye test, call it whatever you want. It's just information. And why would information ever be bad? However you acquire it. So um, that's how I approached it. And, and now I do have a bit of a numbers background. And so maybe there is a comfort level in looking at numbers and charts and tables and percentages. And, and maybe intuitively it, it makes more sense to me than, some, um, the way that, you know, other people are way better at like playing a guitar than I would be like, you know, like the, the people are good at different <laughs> things. So I, 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 I want to know, I want to know information and whether it's at, I'll see a number based evaluation and then I'll watch it. And like, that doesn't make sense. Why? Like, then you answer why, why doesn't, why do the numbers not make sense to what I think I'm seeing or do they match up? And like, it confirms my, I see it one way. Oh, the numbers see it the same way. That's good to confirm. And I think why I want to try to bring it into my broadcasts is I think it adds another layer, a depth of understanding. If I can show you Mike Stevens is really good at uh, zone entries. Why? And then I can roll three videos of you skating the puck in the zone, creating a chance, and then have a board come out and say, these are the reasons you're good at. This is what happens. And people understand this is why video supported by numbers this is what's happening and this is why it's working like i think it just makes like it can help make sense like oh yeah 
I see those are good plays. Mike doing my job on the broadcast. Right. When that's exactly what I did in New Jersey. And then, and then you show the numbers that correspond with it. You're like, okay. And then it adds another layer. And the other part of it is that I think even, I understand hardcore fans, like they don't want to do math when like, that's like, I don't want to do math when I'm watching games. I don't watch the game. I don't want math. But like, I think. I agree. I don't right, want to do math. You know, I was told there would be no math. You love whatever team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you want to understand why the Toronto Maple Leafs do what they do, why they play a certain style, why they rotate their lines a certain way, why they hire, why they sign players a certain amount of money. This is part of what teams are using to evaluate players and make decisions. And if you're a fan of a team or a sport, like it's good to kind of understand what's going on around that sport. And so that's the other part of it. Like I'm not just pulling this out to make myself seem smart or because I'm, I'm interested in it. Like I think the sport is doing it. The teams you like are doing it. The teams you don't like are doing it. And so to have even a cursory knowledge of it and bring some of the more basic elements into a broadcast, I think can be helpful. And as, as Rachel mentioned, like plus minus, whatever, I think a big part of it is understanding, getting comfortable with terminology because we're introducing new terms and the terms mm-hmm. are not always, they don't always make sense. Like, you know, if you like Corsi, whatever Fenwick, like why, like it's got nothing to do with shots and shot attempts. Like, why is it called that? It doesn't intuitively click in. Like we're doing a shot based thing here. Yeah. If you called it shot attempts, right. it'd be fine. So I think just getting language to a point where it is ubiquitous, you know, across all the different broadcasts and form mediums that would go a long way into making it easier to digest. But um, that's what we try to do it. And we do it all the time. We're always kind of, you know, pushing it and chasing it. The challenge is though, Mike, is that, like, I'm not like Rachel, like I'm not like at the forefront of this stuff. I'm, you know, I'm, I take the stuff that's available in the public, in the public sphere. I have some access to private stuff and I do the best I can with it, but it changes so fast. Right. And it's getting better. And mm-hmm. like baseball, cause I worked on NHL network and you talk to the baseball guys and you watch their broadcast oh. and they have, so yeah, like, and like, like war is a very widely understood idea in baseball like mm-hmm. whether it's the rapm or where it's a score effect a score whatever tally effects whatever they want to call them like they're not so common in hockey right so like and they're changing all the time so we got to kind of solidify the terminology and the, and the things the best we can so that it's easy to understand for people who are not deeply invested in it okay so two things one if you ever do want help, you can always email me and I will provide <laughs> mm-hmm. insight. Not that it would be any better than anything else. But the other thing I think is in hockey, I notice, and certainly members of the Toronto media are prominent members of this issue. I think in hockey, there is this old curmudgeon, I, the eye test versus the numbers. Whereas I think in baseball, it's more widely accepted. Baseball, first of all, is linear there's a certain amount of outcomes that you can have. Whereas you have soccer or hockey where it's a flow type of game. And I think that the old dudes that are in the media yelling certain things and even on TV too, I think there's just this unwillingness to accept that numbers can be valuable for a nonlinear sport. And they just refuse to accept that. It's because that's mainstream now. Like hockey doesn't have a movie with Brad Pitt that has made, you know, I guess war and all these analytics more mainstream. Like it's there's, I was looking on baseball reference the other day and it's, it's shocking that there, first of all, there are no baseball writers left. 
who who only do eye tests. They all incorporate these sabermetrics. But I was looking on Baseball Reference the other day. So I'm a big baseball fan, and there is a stat that starts with the word Pythagorean. Love it. <laughs> and I just. I immediately close the window. I'm like, nope. <laughs> no, you you hit the question mark and you have like a two block, you know, two paragraph explanation of what that stat is. See if you can figure it out. So, but there seems to be a divide though, and this is mainly personified in Cody Cece and the comments and the comments that Kyle Dubas said about him after the season. And I think when they when they were saying, "Well, maybe we'll resign him," is that all of the metrics that are available to the public. Which are not many because they really aren't accurate because, as I've said prior, the people who track the NHL stats that go into the play-by-play tracking data, one dude in New Jersey was sorting his Skittles mid-game. So, like, he's clearly not paying attention. But it's... like They're not accurate. But I was looking at, like, Cody Cece's, like, natural stat trick line. It paints him as a terrible defenseman. Mm -hmm. And yet, yet, probably the most analytically inclined general manager with the deepest analytic staff in hockey is standing in front of microphones and saying that our internal data paints him as much better than you guys mm-hmm. see him as. How much do you see, how much of a divide do you see there being? Because there seems to be this clear contrast between if, if a player like Cody Cece is viewed as favorably in the Leafs organization as he was, and then he, every, anyone with an internet connection can look up and see, oh, he actually is terrible. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? Does, how much does that deepen, I guess, the... The chasm. the chasm of knowledge that we're trying to fill in here. Well, I mean, a lot. I think I think that's a big part of it. There's just, you know, Rachel talks about the, I'll quote you, curmudgeon older writers. But like, so I, like, yes. And there's also the very arrogant, condescending, younger, number-based people oh, yeah. who like, oh if God. you don't either yeah. understand or completely agree or fall in line, then you're the idiot. So like, I think both parties are very polarizing when like always the truth lies in the middle, like somewhere in the shades of gray, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're probably really not 50 shades of gray, perhaps. What's that? <laughs> I hate you. I said, how many shades of gray? <laughs> oh my are God. 50 perhaps. Well, check out Rachel's um, DMS and her marriage proposals. And you can find out. <laughs> oh my God. So, you are not helping, sir. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think both parties in that conversation are to blame like that kind of like combative, relationship that they have co- they created to each other the other part of it is yes like private and public and because as rachel mentioned it's it's a flowing sport it's not as easy like we don't always start statically and and, and kind of like watch the outcome like so many different things are happening and they're very rarely the same so you know you could have internal data that would be very different than public data for sure and and disregard the nhl data because it's not as reliable there's it, that yeah. kind of home ring bias so um there is that but I would also say, like, you know, saying he's better than what you perceive him to be is not a very high bar to clear. No, I'll respectfully, Cody Cece. That's the true. bar is on the floor. Right? Like, you know, so, um, you know, he's probably right. Probably internally, he probably was better than what people perceived him to be. That doesn't make him necessarily great. It just makes him better than what he perceived to be. But, um, you're, yeah, I think, you know, the secretive nature of the way some teams use these numbers and the way they apply their analytics department make it harder to, to – to, to get a consensus, to get information that is agreed upon. But that's just something that you're going to have to work through because that's not going to change anytime soon. And I will say this about Cody Cece. So, yes, Uh-oh. stat lines, your natural stat tricks, all his, all his shares, all his – everything was not great. What he did well, Mike, was get in the way. Like, he was not terrible at stopping stuff. Of his own team's chances of winning? No, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. 
He was not terrible. <laughs> no, I know. Open mind. He open was not mind. terrible at getting in the way, dislodging pucks, disrupting offensive chances against. Where he struggled mightily was once that happened. Because then once the puck was on a stick, mm-hmm. it was he had he just he just didn't move it really well. He had struggled what to do with it once he stopped it from getting a good chance against. And so if you're the Leafs and you're watching him saying, like, he kind of does get in the way. He kind of does do a good job of limiting some really good chances against. It's just that he never does anything excellent with it once he has it. That's the problem. He, he's, you know, super polarizing guy. I know that. But, like, when you kind of dig in and you yeah. watch him, you're like, he kind of gets in the way. Okay. It's the other stuff that he struggles mm-hmm. with. That's my take anyways. There's also this so – like I'm doing a ton of research right now, which I don't know why I volunteered myself to do that, but there's a huge chasm. Even when I was in New Jersey, there's not a lot of defensive metrics. So metrics that measure defensive ability or defensive mm-hmm. play. So all the stuff that you talked about, there's some stuff on sport logic that talks about like loose puck recoveries and, and um, what's the main one? Like what, what, what would you, you're breaking this down. How would you judge a player defensively? Right now, so score logic has like rush chances against, and okay. then you can sort it that says like that led to a scoring chance, that led to a shot attempt, that led to a shot on goal kind of thing. But it doesn't actually, like Mike rightly pointed out, it doesn't tell you, okay, this player is responsible for intercepting this pass and therefore uh, less of a scoring chance was had. Mm-hmm. A lot of the metrics are geared towards offense because it's more easily trackable. I think with player tracking, the hope at least when I was in New Jersey, the hope was that with player tracking, um, you'd be able to track more defensive metrics because you'd be able to see, for example, um, defenseman like proximity. So how good is your gap kind of thing? Are you playing a two-on-one correctly? Like when I did a two-on-one study, it was me watching 17 hours and 36 minutes of teams playing two-on-ones and tracking manually how they did it with player tracking that's just going to be given to you. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's, you're going to be able to create more metrics with it, but that's all going to be internal. It's not going to be public data yeah. because players would never allow that to happen. And to be fair, rightfully so. So I think that the private data, there's also a huge chasm. And I think that's where we get the arguments from the young analytics people and the older eye tech people. I think if you could ask, if you, like, if I'm not asked, like incorporating what happens with the puck, which is a big part of playing defense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if, like I may not be great at defending, but like if I get it, if I make a clean play all the time, like it makes up for a lot of inabilities defensively because you don't have to do it as often and all the other obvious reasons. But if it's just taken away that, like the other team has a puck, I'm defending. If I'm a defenseman, I want to know like your zone denials. Like how often can you skate in on me and how often can you not? Because as a player, I test, body test. Like I used to love going against guys who couldn't skate, you could skate in the zone. I used to not love going against Scott Niedermeyer who would be inside your jersey every time because yep. his gap was so tight, you never could go anywhere. And like, so I'd want to know, like, Nick zone denial. Nick Lidstrom would just stand there and be like, no. Um, <laughs> you know, so give me like his own entry denials. Like, I'd love to know that as a, as a stat because I think that is, that is, you know, two on twos, three on threes. Those are kind of similar situations. And I'd love to know something with regards to, you know, slot, shot, defenses whether that's loose puck denials slot shot access Mm -hmm. because i think you know you can do if you do both those things decently you're not going to give up too many good chances against now you may play in your own end for half the game if you can't pass it once you get it back but the point is you'll at least limit the quality you give what i also find too with with these arguments is that they draw two very like staunch lines and i think they're not super accurate because 
I think if you if you are labeled as an analytics analytically inclined person, it's only numbers and you don't care at all about, you know, what I test or even intangibles. And then on the other side, we see, you know, the curmudgeons, as Rachel put them, they only care about, you know, if you're a good guy and, you know, you're able you're good in the room. And I feel like there has to be a melding there. But there's certain there's certain ways that 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 line gets blurred. And I look at a player like Jack Johnson, for example. And I know, yeah, obviously, judging by Rachel's reaction, Jack Johnson, not a great player by, by most metrics. But this guy keeps getting not just money, but term and chances. And, and you look at these multi-million, you know, million, multi-billion dollar organizations. They build their teams. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not building a fantasy team. There are real world implications here. So there has to be some justification for bringing this guy on. How much of that of of intangibles? How much of a guy's personality, what he adds to the culture? How much of that can potentially over? I guess pave over maybe his analytical shortcomings. Like because there has to be a reason why all these analytic guys, Cody Cece, he's deemed as like being the nicest guy ever. Jack Johnson, he is. Yeah, exactly. So nice. Jack Johnson must be like Mother Teresa with the (laughs) amount of money that this guy keeps getting. How much do you see and how much do you see these intangibles, what they can add to the room? Because we've seen teams, you know, like the Leafs, for example, crumble last year. They had great analytics, but they crumble due to cultural things, I think. How much does that kind of pave over the analytical shortcomings? Did they crumble due to cultural reasons or because their other goalie stood in his head for five games? Like, I mean, like, you know, like it's thank it's, you. Like well, not every team that wins. Well, Casper Kapanen overslept in noon practice. I mean, come on. There were there wasn't there was it's gonna be so different. Tyler saying with the Boston Bruins, they won. Like, I mean, like you know, that's the, true. the idea that somehow every team that wins is full of good dudes, quality guys <laughs> is not true. And just to the same idea that some team that has nothing but great guys and quality people is going to win. Like, it's not true. It's not, it's not true. So you have to kind of look case by case, but I, I think, I think you'd be naive. Like, I think you can have a discussion and a good one about what, how much intangibles, whether it's, you know, positive spirit, whether it's communication, whether it's physical play, whether it's energy on a bench, even if you're not like, like there is, there is some value in that. You can, you can have a conversation how much, but there is some value in that. And I think, um, you know, if you have a group of players who are generally shy or quiet, and maybe you feel like you want to have more in that, you may bring a player who's maybe not quite as good on the ice, but brings something that your team needs. And that's why he's there. Like that stuff absolutely happens. Um, so I think intangibles have value. Now, what I will say is if people say, like I've heard a whole bunch of time, you can't, you know, when, when Mike Stevens on my team, I'm two inches taller, I'm 20 mm. pounds heavier. Cause I know I have the toughest guy on my bench and I could play bigger on some level. I will fight. Uh, for you, yeah, Mike. you would. Don't not, I not will. my face, not my face. Exactly. Um, but on, <laughs> on some level that perceived advantage should be quantifiable. So when Mike Stevens is not mm. in the lineup, do we get hit more? Do we hit less? Do we take more roughing penalties? Does our goaltender get impact? Like there are ways to measure things that even intangibles, so when Mike when Mikey's yes. in the lineup, Damn. do we start periods better the first four minutes because we're ready because Mikey's freaking out on the bench, raw rawing everyone? Like are those first four minutes have they traditionally had a trend of positive play versus the games where he's not, where we're sleepwalking because he's not there to wake up? Like there are even for 
even for intangibles, if you can't necessarily measure how good you are at specifically, you can perhaps measure some element of what impact that is having on your team success. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of come down the middle. There is value in, tang in intangibles, but you can also measure a lot of what intangibles might help. So um, now that takes time and money and effort and research and all those other things. And they're not available publicly. But if I ran a team, if I ran a team, I would probably be doing that. Now you ask about Jack Johnson and I will say that like, if you're familiar with his very unfortunate family story where his parents fraudulently yes. took yeah. virtually all his money, like he's basically broke. He's been in the league for 10 years. He's like on an allowance from the government. It's awful, awful, awful stuff. So yeah, it's I, so I want him terrible. to make as much money as possible because he, his life just not been fair the way it's played out with his parents. I think what he got in Pittsburgh had a lot to do with the fact that he's great friends with Sidney Crosby. Like relationships yeah. matter in this league relationships with teams, with coaches, with the owners, with other players. And if your best friend is the franchise player, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. So, and I'm not saying that's the only reason he was there, but like the reason, how could you give this guy for whatever he had? A, was it a five-year deal back then with Pittsburgh? Um, yeah. I think it was five. Yeah. You know, five I think, I think they talked to Sid and Sid's like, yes. And like that probably goes a little bit of a ways to, to, to helping. So um, I'm with you. Intangibles matter. I think they matter maybe more and are not as closely quantified by the people that run teams because a lot of those people are maybe a little bit older who maybe haven't, mm -hmm. who maybe played in eras where like, you know, in the seventies, eighties, even when I played in the nineties, like, like being tough and mean and all that stuff, like it completely was a big part of hockey culture and like good dudes and having a beer after the game and all that stuff was like, you know, part of ingrained in a lot of the, the fabric of the people that run the league. And so that probably is changing, but we're also getting younger people running teams now and different voices in management offices. And, and that will probably slowly change. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and look, I'm sure the Jack Johnson's financial situation factor in there. He was just an example I was using because you see these guys who, you know, on, on the ice, it seems like their value just is non-existent yet. They keep getting these chance. Like it's not even just, they keep getting contracts. They keep getting chances and seems. money, like not and even money. league men. Yeah. It's, so we talk about these divides. We talk about everything. We, you know, there's, there's, we, we could criticize the way that, you know, this sport is covered and criticize the way this sport is, is explained to fans and projected. To so fans. you're essentially criticizing but me. What's one essentially what you're doing. Well, you're oh yeah, good. for sure. How Go dare ahead. you given that I'm on every broadcast there is like between NBC and NHL network and any, and, and TSN I've worked for Rogers. I've, I've, I've checked every box. Yeah. So yeah, that's me. You're talking about. <laughs> Your Mike bingo card Stevens is and I cool. are going to get in a fist fight after this. <laughs> you didn't let me finish, Rachel. Um, what's one thing that you, like, what's one positive change in terms of how hockey is, I guess, let's say in terms of broadcasts, how that is implemented. Like, what's one thing, you're, you're the president of, let's just, let's just say all the media companies, they come mm -hmm. together, they make one big company, a monopoly, and they put you in, in charge of that. What's one thing you'd change to the way that hockey is broadcast? From the way that hockey is broadcast, okay. Uh, the first thing I do is I mandate, like, well, so as far as like, I would mandate mics on all like players every game. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Would you be able to air that? Well, though? I mean, I'm obviously I'm not gonna. There's gonna be a curse word delay, but I'm gonna bring in elements <laughs> of it, and I think people would be fascinated by that. So, like, like an access point uh, would definitely be there. Um, as far as the way it's broadcast by the people that do it. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think 
<laughs> my one of my first objections, like we're going to stop talking about face-offs and how important they are might be priority yeah. number one um yes spend more time explaining what's happening and, and less time worrying about the face-off um and i would probably see the problem with hockey is there's not a lot of time like if the play-by-play is doing his job there's just not a lot of time mm. to do other things so i would be i would want to probably expand um like what the intermissions would look like and, and offering different ideas and different elements in that that can go deeper. Um, I still think not a technical aspect, but like, you know, getting into the personalities of the players, the stories of the players, who they are, what they're mm -hmm. like. I think that is always something that is well received. Um, so maybe that's where I start and then and go from there. How would you change those, th those intermissions? Like, would you make it something along the lines of, you know, NBA on TNT with, you know, Chuck, Listen. Uh, if I have an unlimited, like, you can't because three, and this is a thing that we talk about in hockey, right? Like Chuck, Kenny, Kenny's a Hall of Famer, but Shaq, like, like Shaq and Chuck are two of the best 20 players of all time or 30, 50, whatever they are. Like yeah. we don't have that. We don't have Gretz, Mario and Gila Fleur in the, in the, in the, in the, in the studio. We don't have that. Like it probably would be better if they were and were as funny as those guys are. So, but they aren't because hockey has right. next to no we're not personality. To be funny. We're not supposed to be funny because then you're just disruptive. So um, how I would change it, I would probably, uh, one, I would love for, you know, Kenny Smith's walk in the, uh, he goes on the court. Have you seen that? He has a yeah. massive screen where he's able to walk oh, yeah. behind the screen and superimpose himself onto the court and explain what's happening. Like if I could get that. I've seen Shaq trip over a, yeah, yeah. a cable and take the entire camera set up yeah, with him. I saw him. that as well. <laughs> exactly. Or crashing the Christmas tree and take that down. But I, like, I think, you know, being able to explain it better, quicker. And it's hard because like, I've been there doing intermissions and like you're watching the game. You want to explain something. You got to explain it to a guy who's cutting tape on a libero machine and it takes you know, 10 to 15 minutes to do it and the game's going on and the intermission's coming up and like, it's, it's hard to do it that quickly, but I would love to be able to, to do something like you talk about TNT, like what they do, they walk in there and they show what's happening. Why? And like to think about the things you could do if you had the technology to show it, you know, not get caught up in the absolute minutia of the game, but like just show what's happening and why and how it's hard. And all. I think there is technology available time and money might be not as available. That's true. Yeah, man. It's, it's well, very how about weird this, Mike? because everyone, I'll ask you, you watch yeah. hockey. You sure. might know something about it. You're I talking do now. So like, what, what would you bit. like to see a in a bit. broadcast in, in an intermission that would be different than what's going on now that would resonate not just with you, but with the hockey fans. Like, what would you say? Well, no Mike Johnson for one. I think we need to eliminate that's, that. That's, that's my been well established. I just got yeah. Something. Yeah. I got something thrown at me by Rachel just now because of that. No, uh, I would say like I, I would say your your comment on face offs, hundred percent. There's a lot of things that we talk that I, I see getting talked about. And again, I don't want to like like I, I think the game is is presented wonderfully now. I just think there's some room for improvement, and that's I feel like you know we're we're of a younger generation, Rachel and I, and I feel I feel like and you like you said you have a 16 year old daughter. How would you want her to get interested in this sport or her friends get interested in this sport? Because they're going to be the people who grow up and who are going to be you know eventually be the the main sort of revenue stream for the NHL one day. You got to like, market yeah. it better. Exactly, the marketing is awful. But in terms of broadcasts, like it's all about personality. Like I even for example when I listen to podcasts, like I don't I I don't listen I, I listen to sports podcasts a lot, but. 
I'm sure that there are some very informative, and I've listened to some very, very informative podcasts, but it's it's done, it's communicated in the most right. boring way possible that I have no, look, I, I have no interest on it. If you're watching a game and you're sticking around for the information, or for the intermission, sorry, I feel like you know a decent amount about the game. You've been watching it. it. It should be more of a conversation. It should be more of you're feeling like you're watching the game with some friends and these people are talking and you feel kind of included in that. Like it should be more like I, the podcast that I listen to and it can be applied to the broadcast is it's just two, three, four friends sitting around shooting the shit talking about sports. And if they bring up, you know, some really interesting points, which they typically do because conversations typically go that way, yeah. then that's, that's great. All the better. So I think that's again, why, Shaq and Chuck and Kenny and Ernie, they work so well. It's not because they're the best, two of the top 20 best players ever. I don't, I could, if, if Shaq was a scrub and Charles Barkley um, was as bad as Shaq thinks he is, <laughs> then it, you know, it, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. They, because they're, they're funny. They're able to clown on each other. They're throwing deli meat at each other's faces on a, on national television. I think that hockey can go a long way with that. I think have some fun. Okay. Back. So Sportsnet brought Kevin BX on for the playoffs. And that was great. I thought that was fantastic. And TSN has yourself, yes. Ray noodles, like the personalities, I think having, it's not necessarily about having like the best players, but like find the guys who have some personality Chemistry. and put them on the damn television. Yeah, like you, you do a really good job of that. Like you're, you're able to like, even in this, you know, we're able to sit back and talk about, you know, red wine and, and interior design. And we're also getting to some hockey talk and it's great. And obviously, you know, sport, sports intermissions, they're not two hours long, but it should, there should be more of a, it should be more welcoming. Cause when you, when you tune in and it's like five dudes on what looks like a, the, you know, the, the hub of a spaceship staring at you with a thousand yard stare telling you, you know, stats reading off a teleprompter. It's kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it's dry. It's inhuman. It's not welcoming where if it's like when they tune into Shaq and Kenny and, and Ernie and all those guys, it, it feels like you're at, I don't know, like the bar with those well, that's guys. Why, or it feels like you're at a dinner table or a fun dinner That's party. why Jeff O'Neill's a big star. That's that's why exactly. I always... Oh, dog. And that's why, like, that reaction, that reaction, like, that's why. And, like, you know, is, is Jeff O'Neill, like, cutting-edge analysis? Like, he knows what's going on, obviously. He's a, he's a really no, he's good hockey player. Not good but at it. That, no, that's not true. He is. But it's but it's the fact no, that know, he brings you in. I'm like, joking. you're at the bar with Jeff. And the way he's reacting, the way, like, mm. you're having... Like, he's, 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 he's broken down some of that formality. And in a good way. And I think Kevin Bax would deserve credit for doing the same thing. Um, so I also think it's wrong. one of those things, and, and you, you're probably in the same boat. Like, Odell grew up a Leaf fan. Yeah. Like, he's from the city. He cares about the team. Like, he wants them to succeed. He is notably very angry when they don't. And so I think he kind of relates. Like, he's relatable. And I think in basketball, the guys are relatable. And, like, guys – People don't like someone like me. Like I don't relate to Pierre Maguire. I don't relate to Mike Mumbury, but somebody like O Dog or like yourself, like we all grew up fans of this team, so we're all not happy when they're performing. And the emotion definitely when when O Dog comes out after they're terrible, like you can relate to that. And so I think the more of that we get, I think maybe yeah. the more fans will get. Yeah, there but, needs to be a Stephen A. Smith. Oh That's, God, no, 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 no there no, does. No. And listen, hear me out because most of sports are consumed on social media and I, this you man. will see, but you will, he, first of all, he's hilarious. He's, you know, a great story. He's worked his way up from being, you know, a caught like the 
DJ at his college radio station to literally getting paid like $8 million a year. It's crazy. But I would like that. The mean potential of that guy. Like there are people who, you know, don't care about sports at all. And they'll be talking about something on Twitter and they'll use his picture or they'll use a GIF of, of him or, a, or video of him freaking out. And that's just, that's cross platform. Like that's you, if you have random people, like there's no hockey, Stephen A. Smith, there's no, no one's, no one's using GIF reactions of Brian Burke. And he's, he's one of the most entertaining guys out there right now in terms of hockey media. But I want someone to be like, yo, when, when baby like, and then putting a GIF of Stephen A and Stephen A's freaking out, they should do a hockey version of that because that at least expands the lore. People can be like, who is that guy? And then they're going to tune in. I don't know. That's yeah. Are you, are you ready to shave your hairline to the middle of your head and start screaming? Please, I'll do that. wait for my hair to fall out on its own before I start uh, fiddling <laughs> with the uh, ever-receding hairline. No. <laughs> okay, so we've kept you long enough. Yeah, I feel like we'll enough. just do like a couple of questions. We put it out on Twitter, like a couple people. Well, more than a couple. There's definitely a few questions. Um, so we'll go down that route, and then we'll let you get out of here because uh, we have taken up far too much of your time already. Clearly, there's no hockey going on because I'm capable of sitting here with you guys for a few hours of the day because I got nothing else going on. <laughs> Listen to us idiots talk. And you. then he's never talking to us again. <laughs> no, we're going to have wine That's together. And not Absolutely. That's a promise. <laughs> Screw you. We're going to go not drink in the old Mike schoolyard by our old you. houses. We'll be all set. Exactly. Yeah. John Wallace. There it is. Hell. Shout out John Wallace. <laughs> Come on yeah, by. There you go. Yeah. Um, so one of the biggest ones that we got was, would you ever have interest in joining an NHL front office or working in an NHL front office, making that transition from, cause you already did the transition from being a player to broadcasting. Would you go upstairs? How would that, how do you view that? And, and what would the opportunity have to look like for you to yeah. step away from like dream, broadcasting dream situation? Um, y- yeah, the answer is yes. Yes. I would, I would do that. Um, uh, it would have to be very good though. Cause I really like what I'm doing now. It's I, I, I'm not planning on leaving, but um, I've always been curious about that side of the business and would be curious to try it. Uh, the challenges would become, and I'm at a better part of my life now because my kids are almost off to university. So I would be more mobile if I had to switch cities and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's something that, and I see my contemporaries, whether it's Rob Blake or whether it's Steve Sullivan or like, you know, I, a guy, Chris Drury guys that I, Jason Botterill or Kevin Adams. I mean, all the guys that I went to college with played against or my age getting these kind of jobs. Um, it's something for sure. I would be curious about the challenge would be, yes. What would it have to be like? So yeah, I would, I don't like, I know you have to work your way up. Like I couldn't be a general manager right now. I don't know enough about the league, how it works, just the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Like, I don't want to be an amateur scout the very beginning. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mm. want to do that for five years because I'm, I'm 46. Like, I'm not doing this till I, you know, like I have to skip a few rungs or fast track through a few rungs to get there. Um, if you ask me the ideal situation, Chris Drury, he went into the Rangers. He yeah. was like player development for a year. Then he went right away to assistant GM and he's been the assistant GM now for a few years and had other job opportunities, which he's not taken. Like I could get behind that path. Now, Chris is a better player than I was. I don't know if Chris is a smarter or better at this, but you know, he is a name that would warrant that kind of quick promotion. I don't have that name as far as my hockey career, but um, yeah, something like that. Get into that. I don't want to get into coaching. I never have. I don't want to do that, but to get in the management side of thing, I always thought I could be, you know, if I wasn't going to go all the way to the general manager, like be a liaison guy, some sort of like assistant to the general manager where like I could take the hockey ops 
the analytical department, the scouting department, and have and be the guy that has a mutual language that could speak to all of them and be able to understand mm-hmm. and kind of bring that together. Because I even talk to people in organizations, there can be a divide or yes. you know, issues in that communication. So maybe something like that. But yeah, it's something I'm interested in and, and maybe I'll uh, poke around there someday. Would you hire Rachel though? I'd check out her resume. <laughs> Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Who knows if she's qualified. I would have a, listen, <laughs> if I, if I were to get hired, Mike, you want to work for a yep. wealthy organization, right? Because if I can't spend mm-hmm. more on players, where can I get better, easier? That's spending more away from players. So that means my team, if I had, didn't have to worry about money, I would have the best practice facility. I would have the best plane. I would have the best hotels. I would have the best catered food. I'd have the best chefs. I'd have the biggest physiotherapy department. I'd have the biggest sports science department. I'd have the biggest analytical department because that's where, if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs, because we're in Toronto, like this is where they can use their financial might. They can't go and buy better players anymore. So they got to do better at making the most of the players that they can get and use their financial wherewithal there. And I think that's, yeah. So would I hire Rachel? I'd hire a bunch of people just like Rachel for sure, because I want the smartest to be there to help. But not me. <laughs> you might be the smartest of the smart. I'd have to find out. Yeah, exactly. Decidedly no. <laughs> no. So I guess final mm-hmm. question we got. What aspect of the game have you grown to appreciate more? Maybe in the last year or so? Because the game seems to be evolving so mm-hmm. much, so quickly, you know, every year we see, you know, new metrics come out every year. As much as the league is, I guess, behind other sports, hockey's behind other sports and its evolution. Yeah. We do see this game. This game is infinitely faster, infinitely smaller than it was even, you know, two, three years ago. What, what have you come to appreciate about hockey? Maybe as a whole, maybe as more granular, wherever you want right. to, however you want to pause this. What have you grown to appreciate? Um, I have grown to appreciate first off, just how fast it is. Like it is like I retired 10 years ago. It is so much faster than I played. I was a fast player when I played and I like, I watched like everybody can skate as well or better than I could back then. Like it, every, it's just so much faster on every level, the way the guys move, the way the puck moves, the decisions they have to make. It's just so much faster and faster can oftentimes mean more exciting. So I think there is that mm-hmm. stands out certainly from the last few years, from when I retired way faster. The other part that is, I don't think people can appreciate how different it is in the last 10 years is how much better everybody can shoot. Not just a couple guys can shoot, not just the best sniper can shoot. Now Austin Matthews shoots better than anyone, but like the worst guy in the team can absolutely shoot. And part of that's technology. Part of that is these kids grew up with this technology. So they learned how to use it. They're not figuring out, um, so skate faster, the, the, the velocity of the, the caliber of the shooting is way better. And I think the other part of it is, and maybe people might not get this when they watch the games is the, I love the, the unique training that players do now to get better. Like I love that in the last five years, like mm-hmm. there's these crazy stick handling schools and there's a whole bunch of different names for them, but they like, they, they do it. There's these shooting schools. There's, you know, Adam Oates or, or, you know, skills, Gary, like like skills coaches, like they will evaluate your game and they're sports psychologists. There are new, like, anyways, I just love the fact that there is so much more focus on getting better beyond I'm going to go to the rink and I go to the gym and, and, and like 
specifically trying to get better at the things you need to do to be good. And so all those things are changing fast and, and making the game, I guess, better every year we go. Wow. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, we're at over two hours now. You have a life. You're far more important than we are. So you probably have things to no, do. No, I don't. To Where run, am I running to? to sign. Where am I going? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I'm going online and ordering He's gonna groceries. Sit here. What am I gonna, I'm going to go ride my Peloton is what I'm going to go do. All right. That's my afternoon. And update your video diary. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Or no, he's going to sit here and kibitz with you about how you're going to have a red wine night and yeah. not invite me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Well, we just want to thank you for coming on. This has been fantastic, incredibly illuminating. And, uh, you know, you're, you're our first guest of the 2.0, but I feel like uh, you're going to be our Steve Martin in SNL, if you will. You know, the, the guy we want to bring mm-hmm. back time and time again, if you're willing. So we promise it won't be two hours next time, but we just want to say thank you so much for giving us All your right, time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, it was good. Thanks.